All right, welcome to Cadaver Lab, episode 34. I'm Mike. And I'm Sam. And boy, do we have one heck of a show for you Oh, I'm today. so excited. <laughs> we got a lot of stuff to do today, actually. Yeah. We, we actually maybe planned a little bit out today. Unbelievable. Yeah, we got some good stuff done for today. Since, since when are we? Since when have we started doing that? Um, well, you know what? You know what the problem is? Is people are going to start expecting us to, like, actually plan stuff out from now on. Well, they can't get used to that type of stuff. But you know, I feel like there's been a level raised. Oh no! With like douchecast and stuff like that, to where I need to be on my game. That's right. Speaking of douchecast, we are recording the douchecast on June twentieth, and we are going to be talking about. Uh, David Cronenberg's Crash, which should be... I've never seen it before, and I have yet to see it now, so I'm pretty stoked about it. David Cronenberg always makes me feel like sex is gross and dirty in his <laughs> movies. It isn't? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. You wanna, do you want to hear something about feeling dirty? Well, yeah, why not? All right, I, I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there, even though I'm a little bit embarrassed. So I go. I went to a dance recital tonight for my daughter. All right. And there's a lot of young girls that are up there dancing. Uh-huh. And they put provocative moves in there. Really? Yeah, like that I was, I just didn't, I'm like, what, what are they doing? They're, this is, they're dancing way too adult when they're that, that little of kids. And really? they And they had a couple of dudes that danced like these teenage kids. Did you see their, uh, their moose knuckles? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I started thinking, dude, just... Cut it off because you don't even need it. It just gets in your way as you're doing dancing those beautiful moves. <laughs> Have just you ever, do everyone a favor and well, chop it off. What was, what was that movie, Top Secret? Have you ever seen Top Secret yes. where, where all those guys are ballet dancing and then they all have these giant packages? Oh, that's right. And then the ladies like walk on them and they create their whole thing. <laughs> you know what I think we ought to do right now? What? I think we ought to play a song dedicated to Steven right now. Right now? Right now. Right now. Right now. Okay, let's do it. Okay. That's why I'm trimming Because she goes She breathes She lies She says I'm handsome Once dad hit me so hard Mom felt it on her cheek Because she goes She
tickling me. Hope you enjoyed that, Stephen. <laughs> and uh, I wish you would please stop tickling me. Really, honestly, dude, come on. All right, well, let's get into it, or else this All is right. going to be a three three hour long show. Right. Uh, so uh, one thing I want to say, and and Sam, we've got a special treat from Sam. He's got a book review for us today. Yeah. Uh, but we'll we'll get to that in just a second. Let's let's do this. I got I got a couple of pieces of news, and then we've got let's go into a couple of emails, mm-hmm. and we'll go to your book review, and then we'll do uh, voicemails. We'll okay. See. Yep. Right. That sounds good. First and foremost, we I just wanted to uh, uh, pimp some of Keith, Keith Latch's work. You know, Everybody who's listened to the Cadaver Lab knows that we here love Keith Latch. Basically, he, he's uh, recently put out a, a book called Bestseller. He's you know, kind, of, kind of trying to pimp that right now. So, so what we're going to do is I actually went and bought three copies, three digital copies of Bestseller. And uh, what we're going to do is... This is going to go to the first three people, and I'm going to give them away, first three people who get on the uh, forum. Sam, why don't you explain this to us? Okay, so what's going to happen is is this is like a little uh, mystery hunt on the forums. We are going to post something on the forums that looks a little bit weird. We're not going to tell you where it's at, but if you can get under there and put Sam is a douche... If you can put that, the first three people to put Sam as a douche. Well, what's the heading going to be? Well, we're not going to tell them. It's just going to be wacky, stupid. Yeah, you've got to go on under there and figure it out. So we may be getting all over the place on our on our web on our forum. Uh-huh. Sam is a douche under all sorts of weird places. <laughs> yeah. It may not even people are like what the hell is going on? Why, but, why is everybody just saying Sam is a douche? That's right. I mean, they, they won't get it. So. Shouldn't that have its own whole thread for it? I yeah, mean, exactly. There's enough to talk about. <laughs> so I I will go I will go create a thread. And the first three people to put Sam as a douche underneath that thread will get uh, will get the prize. A copy of best Keith yep. Latch's bestseller. And also, stay tuned after uh, we're done. Once we say see you later, you know how we like to do and because it's all cool. you know. Yeah. What we're going to do is we're going to uh, throw on Keith's prologue to that book. He, he sent in some audio. We're going to throw it in. It's like 10 minutes long, so we're going to put it on at the end. But check it out. But go to the forums. And this this is to uh, you know reward those people who get it early, I guess. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I like okay. it. I mean, there's no other way really to do it. Yep. Also, I'm going to be putting up a story on cadaverlab.com so people can go. You know, Keith's, Keith's an awesome guy. He has a lot of free stuff out there. And, uh, you know, and he's a talented author. So we got to support those guys. Yep. You know, they're they're trying to make it in a hard Type of thing. I mean, unlike us, where we're just being a couple of douchebags, this comes naturally to us. <laughs> I'm not saying writing doesn't go naturally to Keith. I'm just saying. Yeah, all yeah, right. Yeah. All right. Uh, second item of business. We got some t-shirts. Yes, we did. I just want to thank Steve Wands for sending that, sending his design. It it kicks ass. Yeah, I love it. It is. It's cool. Steve Wands, awesome guy. SteveWands.blogspot.com. If you go to our site, you'll see a link now that says Cadaver Lab Swag, and there's a there's a picture of a T-shirt there. Click that. You go to our Cafe Press store, and uh, you know you can check those out there and pick them up. I've already picked one up for me and my wife. I'm nice. Gonna, I'm gonna. 
I'm gonna make a. I'm gonna give that to her for a birthday. I didn't know it was officially up, so I got to order mine. Oh yeah, it's officially up. That's great. Uh, I think since yesterday, so it's not like okay. you're. Okay. It's not like you're that far behind. Uh, also, we we've actually got two other designs. Uh, we got one from Jessica, which is really awesome, but it's probably gonna take me a little while to get it going because I have to turn it into a digital thing. Mm. So I'm not very good at that. So it may mm-hmm. take me a little while to get that one up. But also, we had one fax through our K7 voicemail service. The, they can just send like a fax, which is just basically a tiff. That uh, I didn't know that. I don't know. I don't. I didn't know that. I mean, I know you could do it. I didn't know how you did it. But basically, uh, it was a pretty funny picture. Maybe I'll put that up on the site. <laughs> I don't know who sent it. So maybe <laughs> maybe in one of the voicemails today, it, somebody explains it. But uh, okay. Well, that's all I got for the news. Good. That's good. Get into some email. Are we getting into your thing? Do it. You want book review? Yeah, book review. All right, so I had an opportunity, thanks to Ferguson, who piqued my interest. I, I like to read. I read a lot of books. I try and, well, before I was watching three movies a week, I was reading about a book a week, and it's kind of slowed down a little bit. But Ferguson brought to my attention a book called The Strain, and it's by Guillermo del Toro and Chuck Hogan. So I wrote this down, so I'm just going to go ahead and read it here. Um, the Strain is written by Guillermo del Toro and Chuck Hogan. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Are you in the front of the class giving a book report? I love it. A little bit. All right, so Del Toro is of Hellboy and Pan's Labyrinth fame, while Hogan has a movie called Prince of Thieves based on his book. Chuck Hogan gave up his job as a video store clerk when his first book was published. Over the past couple of years, we've seen the complete taming of the vampire genre, thanks to Stephanie Meyer and Tweenlight. Wait, wait, woo! Yeah, exactly. So, the fear of vampires is gone, and it's replaced by inherently good vampires who add to society and feed on animals. That's what Twilight's all about. All right, so Enter the Strain, a wonderfully crafted story about the vampire mythos, uh, the violence associated with these creatures of the night, and a scientific look at vampires, why certain things work, why certain things don't, much the same as Richard Matheson did over 50 years ago with I Am Legend. So the story introduces some characters and then quickly presents an eerie situation with a plane carrying over 200 passengers that parks on the runway with shades drawn and no communication going out. Governmental agencies are called in only to discover that all the passengers are dead except for four who are comatose and have no memory of what happened. What ensues is the story of infection in Manhattan over a week's time. The novel expresses in detail about the stages of infection, the physical and emotional torment that comes with it, and as credit to the authors, it's believable. I always snicker at taglines that tell me something is so creepy as to make me shiver or send a chill down my spine, but there were a couple of, pot of parts that had me pause and reread several times because it was so shocking. Del Toro and Hogan make it personal as the plot twists and turns. I could vividly see jaws unhitched, tongues lash, and the infected turn. Uh, here's an excerpt from the book as a man checks on his neighbors after seeing some strange things across the street. So this is to give you a little bit of a flavor about the book, and this is one of the things that I just had to read a couple times. I'm like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. All right, it's Mark Blessage from across the street. Anybody home? He hadn't been in their house since the boy's birthday party in May. The parents had bought him one of those electric kitty race cars, but because it didn't come with a pretend trailer hitch, the kid was obsessed with trailer hitches, apparently. He drove the car straight into the cake table just after the hired help in the SpongeBob SquarePants costume had filled all the cups with juice. Well, Roger had said, at least he knows what he likes. Cue forced laughter and a fresh round of juice. Mark ducked through a swinging door into a sitting room where, through the front windows, he got a good look at his own house. He savored the view for a moment as he didn't often get a neighbor's perspective. Damn fine house. Although that stupid Mexican had clipped the west hedges unevenly again. Footsteps came up the basement stairs, more than one set, more even than a few sets. Hello, he said, wondering about those barefoot hordes and supposing he'd gotten too comfortable in the neighbor's house. 
Hi there, Mark Blessage from across the way. No voices answered. Started to barge in like this, but I was wondering. He pushed back the swinging door and stopped. Some ten people stood facing him. Two of them were children who stepped out from behind the kitchen island. Neither of them were his. Mark recognized a few of the people by face, fellow Bronxville residents, people he saw at Starbucks or the train station or the club. One of them, Carol, was a member of a, of a friend of was a mother of a friend of Marcus's. Another was just a UPS delivery man wearing the trademark brown shirt and shorts. Quite a random assortment for a get-together. Among them was a nary, a lus, nor a blessage. I'm sorry, am I interrupting? Now he really started to see them, their complexions in their eyes as they stared at him without speaking. He'd never been stared at like that by people before. He felt a heat from them that was separate from their gaze. Behind them stood the housekeeper. She looked flushed, her complexion red, and her staring eyes scarlet, and there was a red stain on the front of her blouse. Her hair was stringy and unwashed, and her clothes and skin couldn't have been dirtier if she'd been sleeping in real dirt. Mark flipped a forelock of hair out of his eyes. He felt his shoulders come up against the swinging door and realized he was backing up. The rest of them moved toward him, with the exception of the housekeeper, who merely stood and watched. One of the children, a twitchy boy with jagged black eyebrows, stepped up on an open drawer to climb onto the kitchen island, so that he stood a head taller than anyone else. He took a running start off the ground countertop and launched himself into the air toward Mark Blessage, who had no choice but to put out his arms and catch him. The boy's mouth opened as he leaped, and by the time he grabbed Mark's shoulders, his little stinger was out. Like a scorpion's tail, it flexed up before shooting straight out, piercing Mark's throat. It split skin and muscle to anchor in his corroded artery, and the pain was like that of a hot skewer rammed halfway into his neck. He fell backward through the door, crashing to the floor with the boy holding fast, tethered to his throat, sitting astride his chest. Then the pulling began, the drawing out. The sucking, the draining. Mark tried to speak, tried to scream, but the words clotted in his throat and he choked on them. He was paralyzed. Something in his pulse changed, was interrupted, and he couldn't utter a sound. The boy's chest pressed against his and he could feel the faint thumping of its heart, or something, against his own. As the blood rushed out of Mark's body, he felt the boy's rhythm accelerate and become stronger. Thump, 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 reaching a frenzied, intimate gallop that was close to pleasure. The boy stinger engorged as he fed, and the whites of his eyes as he stared at Mark flushed crimson. Methodically, the boy kept twining his crooked, bony fingers through Mark's hair, tightening his grip on his prey. The others burst through the door, setting upon the victim, tearing at his clothes. As their stingers pierced his flesh, Mark felt a renewed pressure change inside his body. Not decompression, but compression, vacuum collapse, like a juice pack being consumed. And at the same time, a scent overpowered him, rising into his nose and eyes like a clot of ammonia. He felt an eruption of wetness over his chest, warm like freshly made soup, and his hands gripping the little fiend's body felt a sudden hot dampness. The boy had soiled himself, defecating over Mark as he fed, though the excretions seemed more chemical than human. Pain like a motherfucker. Corporal all over, his fingertips, his chest, his brain. The pressure went away from his throat, and Mark hung there like a bright white star of a fulgy pain. So anyway, that's just a little taste of it. I could when he's talking about the the little dude defecating on the guy. I mean, you could tell that he doesn't hold back at all. So I I really enjoyed this book a lot. Um, I, I liked where the story ended, and as the book was wrapping up, I wondered how the story could be carried through two more books. But some developments take place in the last thirty five pages that had me saying hell yeah as I finished up. So the other two books, The Fall and, and The Night Eternal, are due out in twenty ten and twenty eleven respectively. So I'll buy. I'll be buying those the day that they go on sale, and I really appreciate that Del Toro and Hogan have brought the vampire genre back to where it should be: feared, violent, unapologetic, and downright mean. So this book gets a bone saw. Nice. Did you? Uh, did you sit? How quick did you read it? Pretty quick. I got it Tuesday, and I finished it Saturday. Oh, that's that's pretty quick. Yeah, I don't. Like four I don't days. Well, I don't read a hell of a lot. I mean, I've been reading more comics than, than mm-hmm. novels right now, and of course, those go a lot quicker. 
But uh, God, that's that's awesome. You well, once I find a good book, it's joined. I take it everywhere. Really? It's like when I if I'm waiting on a customer, I have a half an hour between an appointment or something. Oh, uh-huh. I, I pull it out and I read it. Cool. So it's awesome. Awesome. But thanks, Ferguson, for bringing that to my attention. That is an awesome book. Yeah, it's uh, the audio book's also out too. It's uh, read by Ron Perlman. So that I mean, and I've I've listened to the first part. Pretty cool. Yeah. So I but I don't know. I haven't I haven't done the whole thing. Yet. Mm-hmm. But glad you liked it. Dude. Cool, man. Cool. Was that the first book review we've ever I done? I think so. Wow. Yeah. Wow, we're high class. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> we we cannot uh, we cannot deny what we really are. <laughs> All right. So okay, let's get into some emails. We, I've got I've, I've got uh, a couple of uh, <laughs> one of them's really funny <laughs> because it's from uh, Teague from the Angry Angry Glob Horror Podcast. Oh yeah. Uh, it's at angryglobahorror.podomatic.com. And he, he, he sent me this email. He's like, dude, read this on the show. <laughs> you know you're in trouble when someone starts it out like that. <laughs> All right. So I, so you know what? Teague is a cool guy. So I'm going to read it on the show. In his po- I've listened to his podcast, too, and he does a good job. So, uh, you know, let's uh, let's just get with this one. Uh, he, he also asked me to read the first part in a, a 1920s accent, which, which uh, I'm not going to do. What is, what is that? Uh, it's kind of like a, a carnival barker or something is what he said. I don't remember really? what he said. I told him I don't know what it is, but I think I huh. have an idea what it is, but I'm not going to do yeah. it anyway. All right. Uh, hello, I am jumping from Corey's back to yours. Speaking of Corey at the Midnight Podcast. Uh, the Parasite of the Airwaves. I'll drop the motherfuzzing old time talk and get to it. Now, I did not censor that. That is exactly That's what, what he said. said. All right. I'm glad that this time you picked a series that I've actually seen. At least the good ones. Also, this is the first episode for for two to four episodes that I haven't got mentioned. What the fuzz? I'm outraged. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he says, also, I agree with you with your Freddy being scarier than Jason, but I also think that, unlike you guys, I found the Freddy films better. Now, I think he's making a couple of assumptions or we weren't clear mm-hmm. because, uh, I, I mean, I don't know which are scarier. But, I think uh, Freddy's scarier. Well, and I mean... I think the idea of Freddy is scarier. Uh-huh. But did you say that the, the the Friday the Thirteenth were better? Because I think I like the Friday the Thirteenth better. Um, I you know I'm partial to Nightmare on Elm Street only because I saw those first. Okay, and that's so, a, that's a thing. So and yeah. that, that's what I was thinking. He was making an assumption because right. whereas I th- I love Friday the Thirteenth, and mm. uh, I mean I'm going to be handing out a lot of bone sauce for films yeah. that don't deserve them. <laughs> you know, no, I'm just teasing. You know. At least I at least I can watch him, and I understand that uh, you know there it's part the reason the, the the reason I like him so much is part nostalgia, yeah, and part because they're really good, right? But uh, but uh, I, I guess I'll just say every single one gets a bone saw, but from now on I'll I'll be honest with you <laughs> when I get my all right. So uh, T goes on just to cover the last couple of episodes. Nashes of Horror, awesome, inspired me to watch the series. Definitely stealing that idea for the angry angry glob. Tales from the Crypt didn't even get to see much of the live-action series, but the animated series was always part of my childhood, up to its cancellation when I was about nine. And the Crypt Keeper is Crypt Keeper is my fuzzin' hero, along with now Guitar Wolf and the Grave Robber. Uh, I don't know who those guys are. Me neither. Uh, just wanted to. Get... <laughs> great. Now we're gonna look so stupid. No, no, listen to this. This is a great. This is a great ending line for the email. Just wanted to get into your show. Teague from the Angry Glob Horror Podcast, angryglobhorror.podomatic.com. I know we gave him some shit, but you know what? He's uh, He actually does a good job. Go over there and check it out. It's very entertaining. I just uh, thought that the email was pretty funny. That is funny. 
All right. And this one, it's actually not an email. It's something from the forums that was uh, on today. But I thought it was so funny. This is, uh, do you remember Stacy from the Creepy Kitsch blog? Creepykitsch.blogspot. Yes. You don't remember? I don't. She, remember she was the one that sent in all those? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I remember okay. Stacy. Well, she made a really funny post on, oh, uh, on the forums today. Not surprising. And, uh, oh, she, yeah, she's always full of these awesome things. But uh, this one was uh, really funny because, uh, well, I'll just read it. Sam and Mike, thanks for playing the Elm Street 3 trailer in the podcast. When it went qu- when it went from quiet little girl singing to something apparently trashing the house, I about swerved off the road and took out some farmer's cow. Well done, you asses. <laughs> in support of Nightmare 2, I actually didn't see this till about two years ago. And that was after I had heard about the inadvertent gay subtext. I don't think the subtext was deliberate, but uh, if you chose to see it, it's glaringly obvious there. I ma- it, ma- it made the movie so much better, in my opinion. I laughed heartily and plan on getting it on DVD so I can giggle when I like. Plus, if you look closely at the scene where Tweety goes boom, you can see sparklers in the bird's pupper. In the, in the bird pup, genius, sheer genius. But it was, you know what? Actually, I think uh, we have. I think Johnny, who sent in a voicemail, talks about the the gay subtext too. I still, you know what? I'm sorry. I I don't know. It, people th- say it's obvious. I didn't. I didn't know about it until after. I mean, sure, you saw some of it there, but I didn't think it was like the whole damn movie. You know. I, I felt. I felt gay after watching it. Well, you felt gay before watching it. <laughs> oh. N- nothing. That's cool, man. No big deal. <laughs> What? Hey, listen, that's fine. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, that that's all the stuff I wanted to go over as far as voicemails are concerned. Right. Uh, I mean, emails are concerned. But uh, should, should we just go right into some voicemails? Let's do it. Mike and Sam, what up, boys? This is Fubar from over at Fangoria.com. Moderator over there. Haven't called in for a while. I've been meaning to. Uh, glad to see you guys are finally doing Nightmare on Elm Street and uh, Friday the 13th. It took you guys long enough. I'm still waiting for my Romero episode. I can't believe you haven't done that yet. You did Lucio Fulci and Argento. Come on. And Savini, too. When's he going to get his own episode? All right, boys. Talk to you later. Bye. Listen, Fubar, if I knew who the hell Romero and Savini was, would probably do their episode. But since I don't... Screw it. <laughs> All right, no, you know you, I'm you know, totally kidding. Here's the deal. I've been itching to do Friday the 13th at least, but, like, I mean, it was bad because, uh, I mean, there are other podcasts have done it, and then the and then the new one came out, and then uh, I figured other ones would do it. But I got it. I mean, this is, like, my favorite series, you know, in the world, and I know it's stupid, but, uh, you know, we just we wanted to be timely. Oh, well, that's you what I was going to say. We don't want to do when everybody else is doing it because then he gets sick of hearing about yeah. it, so... Hey, it's Brian from Drunken Zombie. Uh, give you a call, Mike, because you seemed a little uh, weirded out. But you know, when you called our show, that we thought you were like listening on us, and uh, you know, we just didn't find it that funny. And you know, after hanging out with you for a weekend, we just expected better from you. But then, uh, of course, you know, I listened to the latest episode, and Brian Cox, really? That 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 that's what you got? That really? Uh Oh, well. Well, I guess Sam's going to have to be the funny one now. So, what are you going to do? I love Nightmare on Elm Street. It's my favorite franchise. And definitely one and three are like two, I would say, top uh, selections of the franchise. Love three for the fact that they all have their own powers, even if that dude is whiny and apparently the wizard master, whatever. 
Uh, anyway, can't wait to see what you guys are doing with the uh, Freddy vs. Jason uh, lineup, apparently. Very cool uh, theme, and uh, I can't wait to hear it. I'll talk to you guys later. Dude, I, I mean, I don't know. You claim to have listened to it, and you did know about the Frank Cox. But listen, I apologized before I even said it. <laughs> Listen, you don't need to apologize. Frying Cox will go down in the anals of Cadaver Lab history. What? Yeah, you heard me. The anals of Cadaver Lab history is one of the funniest things ever said. Dude, I called up their show, and they had this guy do a do a um, a little bit. Uh, his name is Lord Blood Raw, and we're actually going to be playing a promo from him today. Yeah, but he is so damn funny. Really? I mean, he's just funny. And he's got this whole persona. And I called up, and I was like, yeah, DZ kind of sucks, but uh, at least you got Lord Blood Raw in there. You give us something to listen to. <laughs> and then they were just like, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh really? So, so I, call, I sent them an email. I'm like, dude, I was just giving you crap. Oh, but, that uh, sucks. They just, apparently they just didn't think I was funny, which is not unbelievable, <laughs> especially since the Frying Cox incident. Dude, is that... So, are we going to now refer from now on to that as the Fry and Cox incident? I, I really don't think there's any other way to describe it. It was an incident that needed to be taken care of. It got it got loose, and I'll tell you what, though. When I was editing, and uh, I typically, I mean, I typically don't, like, laugh at us because yeah. I, you know, I mean, it's us, yeah. you know. Yeah. But uh, when I said that and we laughed for, like, 20 <laughs> minutes, I was just laughing my ass Dude, off. Dude, that is just scandalous. And, 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 you know, and the thing is, I was thinking, you know what? No one else is going to be laughing at this no. stupid thing but me. <laughs> and so from now on, we're just going to be like, yeah, since the Frying Cox scandal yes. of episode 33. <laughs> Frying Cox <laughs> scandal. Everybody's going to go back and listen to episode 33. What the hell are those They're going to listen to it, then they're going to be like, that was it. Damn yeah. it. <laughs> hey, Mike and Sam, this is Slug. Um, well, I kind of wanted to do a little experiment. Um, I've, I've been talking with Mike on Twitter um, about my new job that I got. Well, I kind of don't want to tell you guys. I just want Sam to guess. You know, Metal Mikey gets the toothpaste factory, and Julie from 19 Nocturne Boulevard is, you know, quitweedling all up in her beanbag chair, leopard print beanbag chair and all. What the hell do I do for a living, Sam? What do I do? Tell me. I really want to know. So, Mike, now is your chance. Get him to ask what it is I do for a living. Uh, And after I hear this episode, I'll actually let you guys know what I do for a living now. Um, Like I said, I just started my job two days ago. Uh, I really enjoy it. And basically, whenever I was going through the tour of the building to find out what I did, I could only think of a movie that I loved from the 80s. And I'll leave it at that. That's the only hint that you get. Um, So, yeah. Come on, Sam. Give it a shot. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. So Slug almost got me. He almost got me. But I know what he does. He is a, a buyer and a tester of adult Porn toys, and that so he tests them on himself. That's that's what he does. I he that's did. I'm I'm saying that's what he does. He tests the anal intruder. That's right. You know what? That is the second reference to Top Secret in this episode. That movie, Top Secret. We're gonna have to go watch that now. Oh my gosh! That I I have to admit that was a great movie. That is a funny show. But uh, no, no, that's wrong. I know what he does. Really? That was wrong. That Are was you kidding. That was. I wrong. can tell by that guy's voice. That's that was wrong. <laughs> Really? Let me let me tell you what he really does, and uh, he kind of threw us off there 
because there is a movie in the 80s about this, but it was actually made famous by George on Seinfeld. Basically, I don't know if you remember the episode where he took a book to the yes. bookstore yes. and he went to the bathroom with it and then the book was flagged. Yes. That, ever since that episode, companies have been taking people and making them stand outside the bathroom Making sure nobody takes in books. Really, and that's what Slug does. He does. Yeah, he told me. He told me on Twitter. So that was close, though. Oh man. I mean, there are. That's not even nearly close. But anyways. Oh, all good, right. good try. Hey, thanks, man. A uh, good day, Mike and Sam. Greetings from Michigan. Otter here. I'll let you know what I've got doing, so you don't have to think some strange thing. I'm just sitting in the computer chair, staring at the screen, waiting for things to download. It's pretty pathetic being unemployed in this state. But I uh, wanted to comment on your guys' whole haunted house thing. I, I don't know about people elsewhere in the country, but in Michigan, especially in like the suburbia Detroit area, um, haunted houses are a big thing come the Halloween season. A lot of them, uh, they'll even fire up like Labor Day weekend. You know, run like a Friday and Saturday night, and then once October 1st hits, they'll run like Wednesday through Sunday. And we have some... We have some great ones here. There's one in Pontiac. Uh, it's called Arebus or something. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it, but uh, I've been to it a few times. It's a five-story building, and your whole goal is to get from the bottom floor to the top floor. And they, they used to boast that, oh, if you get through it, you'll get your money back. I've been through it like five or six times. Never got a penny back. But it's really cool, and it's one of those, ones where you get people from all over the area to come in, different groups of people. I mean, you you walk in there one time behind a bunch of, like, tween chicks, and they're just all screaming, oh, my God, oh, texting, oh, get me out of here. Or you walk in behind some real hardcore thugs or whatever, and these guys will start freaking out, like, oh, shit, dude, get me out of here. But And we also have ones, like, they'll do them out in cornfields or out in the woods, and those are personally my favorite, especially if you go on, like, a moonless night when you really can't see a thing out there. Good times. But uh, Nightmare Series, great series. Um, I couldn't agree with you guys more about Part 2. That's the, uh, I guess, Halloween 3 of the series. Just leave it out. You don't need it. Um, about the only good thing that would come from that was the whole line from the Fresh Prince song of Nightmare on My Street where Freddy says, you've got the body and I've got the brains. That's about it. But uh, And uh, also good musical choices this week. And Rush Rules, they were one of my first ever concerts when they had Primus open for them in like 94, when they were actually on the tour for the Roll the Bones album, which is a great album. And the song Dreamline off of there is Kick-Ass 2. So... Have a good day, boys. Goodbye. And good day. Otter, I, I, you know what? The, the first concert I went and saw was Rush. Mr. Big opened for him. And you know what? I actually, I like a lot of Rush music. I thought you were going to say I like a lot of Mr. Big. No. And I was going to kick you right in the ball. Dude, that is the nickname for my package, and I do like it a lot. <laughs> Even with one ball? Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> you good. Know, you know how we're one big ball, dot ball. <laughs> you, know, you know how we're bringing this up? We, we have a voicemail that talks about how much we talk about balls. So we'll have to wait All for that. The time. <laughs> and uh, man on the street this week I mean, has something to do with it. Okay, Dude, I have got to no, get listen. away from that. So, okay, Sam, I figured something out. What? Now, and I don't, I don't, I'm kind of hesitant to bring this up, but uh, I don't know if you know, but both Sam and I 
have started a fun little other pastime. Why don't you tell us about it? Whacking off? <laughs> yeah, I just started that. Just started that now. Yeah, I mean... Are you talking about uh, Examiner? Yeah, so yeah. basically Sam and I are now... Uh, uh, to Respect journalists. <laughs> now listen, this was your doing... <laughs> And I feel respectable. Now listen, I, I feel, feel highbrow. I feel like a dumbass because why? Because okay, here here's how it happened. I went to um, and and this is all coming back, and this has this has something to do with Otter's voicemail. Yeah. So I'm not just ignoring that, but so I on Twitter, I think it was Jeff from uh, the Splattercast that put that, that sent me a URL to an article about why the horror genre is dying. Okay, so what I, I went there, I watched it, I, I read it, and I was like, this stupid mother effer, what a <laughs> dumbass. You know, but it was on examiner.com, so I, and I'm like, wow, but this guy's like a horror, he can type about it, I mean, he can report on horror stuff, that's gotta be cool. So I went and checked it out, and just, uh, almost on a whim, I just signed up for it. And basically, uh, long story short, there's some you we had to do it. some stuff. You oh, had yeah. to apply. I had the anal search, the anal cavity search. Well, we also uh, I can't. They believe asked, I can't believe they asked you to do it, but <laughs> I mean, I did it. It well, passed. Well, well, that's, I had an anal that, cavity. That's because I was. <laughs> I just had to see if there was one. Well, I, I I made it first. Yeah. So so basically, I'm the Salt Lake Horror Examiner. Yes. And you are the. I'm the Salt Lake Book Examiner. <laughs> so that was already taken and. Uh, so I had to submit some samples, hence the uh, little book review that I did. <laughs> nice. But anyway, so, okay, getting getting back to the point, I'm going to use that in this, this fall. I'm going to go and I'm going to say, hey, uh, I am from examiner.com. We wanna, I want to do a review on your haunted house. Uh, can we get in for free and walk through it? And I'm thinking that will probably work. That will work. Wow. And we'll take the voice recorder. Well, that, yeah, exactly. You know what we could do? What? Man, man on the use, street. We can use the voice recorder to look up girls' skirts. <laughs> Dude, you got to realize there will be jail bait than us, and that's it. <laughs> you know, and that's such does a that get lost on you that it's the voice recorder? No, oh no, absolutely. <laughs> but just like Brian from Drunken Zombie said, it's just not funny. All right. Damn it. Oh no, you know no, what? I that know. was harsh. Brian, I'm still laughing Brian, at myself. You're an asshole. Yeah, Brian. That's what you made me do? You made me hurt his feelings. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but the, I hate that. Okay, cause it's good to hear that it's not just in Utah because we yeah. go wild yeah. with haunted houses right. here. Right. But this way, we probably won't have to wait in line with all the kids. And you know, and I hate that there's only kids go. You're breathing. You think the they're going to believe us? I guess they will because we're older. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll be ten years older than than everybody else there at yeah. least. Yeah. Probably more like fifteen years older. We can just tell them we want to talk to some of the workers too. It, yeah. Interview him, talk yeah. about how it is working on it. So I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe that's a scam. Maybe that's worth it. Anyways, we'll. I'll put up links to our pages. Yeah, do because we, we actually get paid for how many page visits. Yeah, we get. It's uh, let's just say it's uh, not a hell of a lot. It's a ton. What are you talking about? Maybe I'm just not getting page hits. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, have you even got yours up and ready no. yet? So you don't even know. <laughs> no. Uh, anyways, but you know what? Honestly, I thought. The, the reason I went through and applied and did everything, I thought, you know what? If I could make you know a little bit of money, it might, I'm going to use it all for the podcast. Well, yeah. I'm going to keep all my horror stuff you know, in one big bucket yep. so that uh, it, it can just stay there. And maybe it'll be self-sustaining. 
eventually. Well, which would be great. That's why I'm going to do the same thing. I'll just because it goes to a PayPal account. I'll just send it over to you. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yep. But uh, anyway, so don't think we're that big of dumbasses. Florida, no. Florida Possum said that uh, we're uh, sellout whores. Are you serious? Yeah. Well, she said I was, but so she still has yet to weigh. Florida in on Possum it. needs to call up and say that to my face. Exactly. She's pretty tough on the forums. Oh. <laughs> but I'm calling you out, Flopo. I want a voicemail telling me that I'm a sellout whore. <laughs> All right, you know, you just asked for it. That, that's why I'm laughing, because you know, you know she's going to do it. Anyways, let's get to the next one. All right. Mike and Sam, this is Bill. Yeah, I've called you three times. I think I'm officially the most annoying uh, listener, caller you've had. Um, anyway, I wanted to update you guys on that project I was working on that um, – video podcast deal. Um, I have kind of changed the whole vision of, of how I wanted it to look. I I talked about making it a... Uh, holy shit, I'm standing in Poison Ivy. Okay. Um, sorry? Anyway, I had... Um, fuck. Sorry, I'm calling you back. Bill, I know you have a couple more voicemails we're going to go into, but you are not the most annoying caller we have because your name is not spelled J-U-L-I-E. All right? <laughs> On with the show! Okay, sorry. Um, I went behind the uh, tool shed, uh, the uh, work uh, maintenance garage at work, and apparently it's riddled with poison ivy back there. Um, yeah. So anyway, as I was saying, um, oh, my original idea was to be, you know, stuck in a, a bricked myself in the basement and the uh during the zombie apocalypse I'm the last survivor I go out looking for food, yada yada yada. Well I started writing and uh I got a few subplots going but it it, it kinda of seemed like a dead end and it kinda of seemed like something that I would have to would actually be able to act well and um it was taken on a more serious note than a uh, than a leisurely comical note, which I think I would have a lot easier time pulling off. Um, so anyway, my my the reimagining of it, the remake, the uh, newest form, is I want you to think steampunk circus sideshow ringleader. Um, I've been working on the costume. I actually got that all planned out. I just need to um, either find the pieces or find somebody that can sew it for me. Um, I've got a couple of people in mind locally that that uh be working on that but um i think uh it would be much uh well much more fun and and i can have a lot more fun with it um so i've been i've been working on on that point of view uh, steampunk circus sideshow ringleader um yeah i know I, I i haven't decided whether i'm going to be undead or not um but, and part of my, well, it's probably going to end up being monthly. Um, part of my, each episode is going to have a new attraction. And, well, so two new attractions. One's going to be the movie, and the other is going to be some other freak of nature. Um, yeah, and that's another thing I've been trying to work on is some uh, weird people. Yeah, i got some friends that are going to actually really interested in helping me out with that, too. So, um, yeah, it's actually it's coming along a lot, a lot better, uh, or a lot more, a lot quicker than I thought it would. 
And I believe that's all I would like to say for you for now, um, without rambling. So, Spooky Bill, cue me. Ah, uh, never mind. That doesn't work. Bye. Well, so Bill, we're hoping that you get that going pretty quick and that you uh, let everybody know about that because that that will be funny. I mean, if it's not like awesome, at least we'll get a laugh at you. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, I mean, no, come on, we all give each other shit. It's good. Plus, um, I'm sure that there's nothing that you would ever do. To make us want to laugh at you, right? <laughs> Go halfway down the block of slow, down to stop screaming and start. Oh, I get it, I must be dreaming. I stroll back home with the grin on my grill. I figured since it was a dream, I might as well get ill. I bop through the house, the big bad first prince. But Freddy killed all that noise real quick. He grabbed me by the neck and said, Here's what we're gonna do. We got a lot of work here, me and you. The soul's like a friend, you and I'm a slave. You got the body, and I got the brain. I said, yo, Fred, I think you got me all wrong. I don't play with nobody with nails that long. Look, I'll be honest, man, this team won't work. The girls won't be on you, Fred. Your face is all burnt. Fred got mad, and his head started teaming. Then I thought, what the hell? I'm only dreaming. Now I have a story that I'd like to tell about this guy. You all know me, and we scared as hell. He comes to me at night after I call into bed. He's burnt up like the wind. Remember it right, and we had just gotten back off tour last night. So the gang and I thought that it would be groovy if we summon up the posse and dumb rush the movies. I got Angie, Jeff got Tina, Ready Rock got some girl I've never seen in my life. That was alright though, cause the lady was chill. Then we dipped to the theater, set to ill bugging, cold having a ball. And something about Elm Street was the movie we saw The way it started was decent, you know Nothing real fancy about this homeboy named Fred And this girl named Nancy But word when it was over, I said, yo, that was death And everything seemed alright when we left But when I got home and laid down to sleep That began the nightmare on my street was sweating, man, I was bugging. I checked the clock, it had stopped at 12.30, it had melted, it was so darn hot, and I was thirsty. I wanted something cool to quench my thirst. I thought to myself, yo, this heat is the worst, but when I got downstairs, I noticed something was wrong. I was home all alone, but the TV was on. I thought nothing of it as I grabbed the remote. I pushed the power button, and then I almost choked when I heard this awful voice coming from behind. It said, Man, I ain't even wait to see who it was Broke outside in my drawers and screamed so long Cause got halfway up the block I calmed down and stopped screaming And thought, oh I get it, I must be dreaming I strolled back home with a grill on my grill I figured since this is a dream I might as well get ill I walked in the house, the big bad fresh prince But Freddy killed all that noise real quick He grabbed me by my neck and said Here's what we'll do We got a lot of work here, me and you Souls of your friends, you and I will claim You've got the body, and I got the brain I said, yo, Fred, I think you got me all wrong I ain't partners with nobody with nails that long 
be honest, man, this team won't work. The girls won't be on you, Fred, your face is all burnt. Fred got mad and his head started steaming. But I thought, what the hell, I'm only dreaming. I said, please leave Fred so I can get some sleep. But give me a call, and maybe we'll hang out next week. I pat him on the shoulder, said, thanks for stopping by. Then I opened up the door and said, take care, guy. He got mad, drew back his arm, and slashed my shirt. I laughed at first and thought, hold up, that hurt. In a dream, man, this guy was for real. I said, Freddy, uh, how it's been an awful mistake here. No further words, and then I darted upstairs. Crashed through my door, then jumped on my bed. Pulled the covers up over my head, said, Oh, please do something with Fred. He jumped on my bed, but through the covers with his claws, tried to get me. But my alarm went off, and then silence. It was a whole new day, I thought. I wasn't scared of him anyway Until I noticed those rips in my sheets And that was proof that there had been a nightmare on my street something and after it left your mouth you wish you hadn't said it or have you ever sang something and after you hung up you realized oh man what the hell did i just do yeah that's kind of the way i'm feeling right now um hello uh my name is patrick uh i'm from new york city uh i i met mike at horror hound weekend i think um, I don't know, it's hard to remember because I just got out of the hospital because of what happened. Um, I don't know if you remember, but, um, I had a drug, I think it was, stick one of your business cards down my ass crack. Yeah, um, well, turns out, I got a paper cut in my crack, and it got really infected. And so I've been in the hospital because I had to have a a crackendectomy for my acute crackenditis. So, Mike, it might not have been you firsthand, but you spit my ass wide open. Yeah, so I was listening a couple of weeks ago, and you were calling and bothering that poor woman at the um, plastic surgeon's office about foreskin restoration. Now, this is why straight guys are funny. Yeah, I thought, oh, that's so funny. They can have our foreskin put back on. Well, if you were in my community, you would know people have been doing this for decades for fun. Uh... Well, maybe not the uh, reattachment, but they uh, restore it through other methods, like weights, kind of like fishing weights. Nowadays, it's more mainstream. You know, it's kind of a medical product now. 
And, you know, if you're really interested, you can go and Google any one of numerous products like the uh, Cat2RO or the Pullman or the TLC Tugger. I could go on and on. Or you could just contact the National Organization of Restoring Men. You don't believe me? Go look it up. As a matter of fact, I'm going to email you an article. So you can buy one for yourself. Apparently, according to this article, you can make one out of a trumpet mouthpiece. But that's just unsanitary. <laughs> Sorry, painkillers. Uh, yeah. Good times. Anyway, um, for straight guys, you talk about dong a lot. Seriously, I don't talk about dong that much. Well, yeah, I do. But not the point. Uh, I'm just going to hang up now because I'm rattling on and... Bye! That was so informative. <laughs> well, first he drops the crackendectomy for, <laughs> for extreme... What was it? Crackenites. <laughs> and he sent this email <laughs> and that, I, that I got it and I, I just opened it up and read. He said something like, uh, you know, I can't remember what it said, but it was, it was something really funny. So I'm like, I'm going to check this out. And all of a sudden, it was like this this thing that you can attach your wiener, yeah. and it like pulls the skin up and over. So Listen, you, I so had you, no idea. I had no idea there was but I forwarded it off to I you. I know another trick. <laughs> what? Just put on a whole bunch of weight and then go get in a swimming pool. And when you get out, you got like an you got like an any any penis. <laughs> I call it turtle weenie. Because <laughs> like the head's like shoved back in. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I haven't seen it. <laughs> right, Sam goes swimming about every it. time he comes out. He's got an any wiener. <laughs> And eeny weeny, sweet so, dude. But he does have a point. Yeah, about that we talk about wieners quite a bit. We do. Why and why? Why has it gone that way? I don't know. We were I, on our best. I can tell that this thing with the examiner, like us being highbrow journalists, <laughs> yes. it's going to start out that way. But I, I'm going <laughs> to. I'm holding back the dam, and the dam is going to break. Like in my third article, and I'm going to have to say penis somewhere in it. I'm going to have to. Just can't open. If you go back and listen to our episodes, we were so well behaved, and it wasn't oh, yeah. until the microphones were off, we're like, oh, "Dick, dick, penis, <laughs> or balls," and then we turn the microphone back on. We're all serious, dude. And then and we, that's just how it is. That is. What are you gonna do? I don't know. Talking about know. balls. Some there more. was other funny stuff there. I can't remember. Oh, he, that was a great that email. Was a great, oh, a great email. voicemail. 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 Patrick, New York. We actually got a couple more from him. Oh, sweet. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll call in. In regards to the last episode of your show, uh, episode 33, uh, in which you covered the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, movies, one through three. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed, but when it comes up on iTunes, on my iPod, you titled it, the whole episode, Enigmare on Elm Street. N-I-G. M-A-R. Nigma. What the fuck? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh. Where's that guy been? <laughs> that is some funny stuff, <laughs> man. So, okay, I got... That was purely a typo, and I don't know what it was. <laughs> I did that, too. Slug twi- uh, on Twitter was like, dude, do you know that you did this? <laughs> do you know what? What? That's almost as scandalous as the Frank Cox incident. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> the fr- 
Listen, we can only have we're not we're not naming any other incidents right now. All right, that's the only one. The Frank Cox one's the only one for a few episodes, unless some I guess. Happened. All right, all right. But uh, yeah, uh, I apologize. Once uh, Slick told me, I went in there and fixed it. So thank you for being quick. To so if anybody, if anybody that downloaded it quick, do they still have it as Nigmare? Oh yeah, but you know what the funny thing is too is uh, I we usually get the most downloads like our first and second days oh yeah so, so everybody so most, so most people who downloaded the episode yeah got that i apologize right. to everybody that was just a simple typo <laughs> i guess hey mike and sam it's johnny from oklahoma city i was calling man the last episode was bad ass that was a great episode i love every elm street movie in the series and even the second movie i lo- i really enjoy but I don't see how you guys didn't find it, like, overly gay, because it really is. I mean, all it was missing was, like, a Dutch rudder, man. It was it was pretty on the level with that. But the guy, the main guy in it, Jesse, who uh, is played by Mark Patton, he actually is gay, so it makes sense, you know, when he's going to leather bars or, like, gyrating in his bedroom to uh, Wish, that Wish song. But, uh, man, I was really, actually really happy that... Uh, Sam mentioned that he liked the movie The Strangers and he liked uh, Death to Smoochie because those are two movies that I love, but I catch a lot of shit from people for liking. So I feel pretty pretty good about that, man, that someone else likes those movies. Um, Trisha Arquette in the third movie, I uh, I don't know, man. I got a thing for a chick with a snaggle tooth, I, something about it. And I don't really think she's gotten too fat lately because uh, you guys were saying like on that show Medium that she's tubbed out a little, but... I don't think it's too bad. Um, you talked about Heather looking better in part three. She had she looked pretty good, but she had the whole like Kip Winger hair thing going on. So, you know, but I guess that was pretty standard in the eighties. Um, but part you know part two where it went wrong was, you know, having a guy as the uh, protagonist that was just a bad choice. You know, and and that movie was was written because the first was successful, so it was it was they bought a script and just put Freddy in there. That's why it doesn't feel like any other Elm Street movie. But, uh, you know, for what it is, you know, I love it, man. I, uh, it's not, I mean, I wouldn't give it a bone saw, but, you know, if I just, I'll throw it on, like, any time just to, you know, watch Clue Gulliger, you know, harass Jesse about sticking a firecracker up the bird's ass. <laughs> but, man, uh, who else said that? Those were freaking awesome. Uh, those were just funny. They were wrong, but they were funny as shit. And uh, you got you were talking about Mike. You were talking about really enjoying Friday Thirteenth Part Six. I'm a really big fan of the series. I I think Part Four, the uh, final chapter, is my favorite. And uh, it was directed by Joseph Zito, who did The Prowler. And The Prowler's like in my top three slasher flicks, probably. That movie's just brutal. And uh, man, I keep rambling on here. I don't know if you noticed in Nightmare on Elm Street. They actually had a scene from Evil Dead in there, and that was thrown in there because, I guess, in Evil Dead Part 1, Sam Raimi threw in a poster in the basement of The Hills Have Eyes, so they were kind of, you know, flattering each other, I guess, if you call it that. But uh, lastly, man, uh, Rush, rolled, <laughs> rolled the Bones. That song's pretty good, but <laughs> that dude rapping in the middle, man, sounds like the guy from that Shaka Khan song, I Feel For You. So it makes me laugh every time I hear the freaking thing because I think of Shaka Khan. But, uh, man, I'm going to let you guys go because I've been rambling, like, forever. So uh, great show, man. 
great birthday gift. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say it's better than a blowjob, but it was pretty damn good. Thanks, Mike and Sam. Have a good one. Bye. Relax. Get busy with the facts. Something, something <laughs> gluteus max. That's so stupid. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I hate to say it, but I do not like Rush. I'm sorry. I yeah, said it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all right stuff. But, you know, I've got to put it to rest as far as Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. It is, it's basically a gay porn. If you, no, it's, yes, it is. Dude. Anything is a gay Listen, porn. If you, if you just read the plot line, the end of the plot is Jesse ends up inside Freddy. <laughs> if you just read the plot. You can tell that it's gay, just from that, dude. Yeah, I, I know. I know you're trying to be funny, and and the word here is fu- is trying. Okay, <laughs> trying. You're doing a great job. It's a. It's a. I, I applaud a your effort. Up. I applaud your all effort right, there. All right. all right. You know the thing is, I don't know. I listen. I I I can't really say. But the thing is, I'd seen it before without hearing any of that, and I I never noticed anything except for, of course, the bisexual. Uh, listen, I just thought dudes in the 80s danced around like that. <laughs> I did. Listen, in uh, Lost Boys, okay, uh, what's his name? Uh, Corey Haim, what's his name? Sam, his, mm-hmm. his character Sam. He has a picture of, I think, uh, what's that one guy that does a great Shaggy impersonation? He was in Tommy Boy as the, as the evil brother. He, oh, he's really yeah. famous. What, I can't remember oh, his name. Oh, my gosh. Chad. Chad? No. Yeah, it is Chad. No, it's not. No, Chad's his younger brother. Oh, my god. But gosh. anyways... We he, have to think of it. People are going to kick our ass. Well, who cares? He's not in any horror movies except for the remake of Salem's Lot that came out a few years ago. Damn it. Anyways, but he had a, a, a poster of him with his shirt pulled up. That's just how dudes were in the 80s. <laughs> Sam is racking his brain. I, I'm, I'm going to go on. I'm going to go on real quick <laughs> while you think of that because uh, that was an awesome voicemail. Um... First of all, I want to be the first to admit that uh, apparently I am very naive because, number one, I didn't know that foreskin stretching was a big deal. <laughs> and number two, I have no freaking clue what a Dutch rudder is. <laughs> I don't either. Uh, I'm pretty sure I don't want to know yeah. exactly. but uh, I do, just so I can watch out for it so it never happens to me. <laughs> I have a feeling... That regardless of what it's called, if it happens to you, you'll probably know that uh, <laughs> I don't, don't want that to happen. Yeah. Anyways, uh, oh, I thought I just had a <laughs> that guy's name. Rob Lowe! Rob Lowe! Oh, mother <laughs> Chad's yes. little brother. Rob married to Married to that lesbian chick. What? Chad's little brother that was married to the lesbian Who's girl. Ch- Chad Lowe? Who's Chad Lowe? It's, it's Rob Lowe's little brother. Is it in real life? I yeah. don't even know who this is. Yeah, and he's... Uh, He's he's married to the girl. He she looks like Clea Duvall from Carnival. Uh-huh. I, and I don't remember what her name is. But it's not Clea. Shit, now we gotta spend another five minutes thinking about what her damn name is. <laughs> oh yeah, by the way, Carnival. Pretty cool so far. Talk about it in the douche cast for July. July. Jeez, we're trying to truck through it. Yeah, we're we're really pimping the douche cast. That's good, because the douche but just so you know, the 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 um audio quality will be much better. All right. That's good. Uh, Patricia Arquette. Now, you know, listen, you're breathing into the microphone again, and it's really getting irritating. But I have to to bust you on something. I saw um, a commercial for Medium, and she, Patricia Arquette didn't look fat. What the hell? You're lying. Are you serious? Dude, she's fat. (laughs) She is. 
She, Come on, well, let's really? put it this way: she's probably put on a few extra pounds as compared to what she was in nineteen, what eighty five or eighty six in number. Well, three. even in True True Romance, she looked pretty good. Even in Stigmata, she looked all right. I don't, I yeah, but I just don't. I not that I follow her career, but she's fat, dude. Dude, you know what I just learned? Hungry, hungry hippo. Damn it, I disagree, Patricia. I still. Oh, she was in. Uh, Little Nikki, that's what I saw her in lately too. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah, that's pretty. The show that's was funny, old. but it was—is it? I don't know. Yeah. It was, but anyways, uh, I didn't know that her brother was David Arquette, Roseanne Arquette's her sister. Yeah, all those Arquettes. And then she, then they have um, like a, another brother that's now a sister named Alexis Arquette. That he was in. Um, Wait a second, he got a sex change. Yeah, really? Yeah, he was in um, Seed of uh, Bride of Chucky. Huh? Yeah, you know what the funny thing is? Is he was also remember in um, remember what's that show? The Wedding Singer. Yeah, he was the guy who was kind of the boy George looking. Oh, dude. really? Yes. Hey, Mike and Sam, Stephen here. Um, sorry, I haven't called in earlier, but I've been sick in bed the past couple of days, which sucks on a couple of levels. First off, whenever I'm sick, my sperm count really drops, and secondly, when I'm stuck in bed, I have nothing better to do than count my sperm. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned uh, Brian Cox. Um, yeah, Brian Cox was the first guy to play Hannibal Lecter in Michael Mann's Manhunter. So odds are he was Brian Cox, or at least sautéing them in a wild mushroom sauce. Now, I know you two prefer yours raw on the bone, but, yeah, different strokes, I guess. All right, I'm going back to bed. Be cool, bitches. As always, enlightening and entertaining, our friend Steven at JAFMP. You know what? That's what I meant the whole time. Okay? That's where the joke came from. I actually wasn't just being a dumbass and said it. Okay? I was thinking that the whole time. I guess I didn't articulate it. Oh, I'm sorry. All right, no. That's not true at all. <laughs> that's not true at all. You know, I have to say one thing. It's probably an advantage that when you're sick that you don't have to count as high when you're stuck in bed. That's true. Your, your count's down. Yeah, okay, you so, take uh, off your socks and count your toes, I guess, <laughs> when you're in West Virginia. I, I how how does counting toes and counting sperm? They both have counting in it. I mean, I don't know. It, that felt so flat, dude. Talk about one of jo- these. Do jo- you, you want me to cut that one out? <laughs> I don't even care what you do on that. It's, I've been so horrible this time. All right, so we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll get right into our show. Here's a tribute to World of Warcraft studs everywhere. If you've ever contemplated naming a child or pet Azeroth, you, my friend, are a dumbass. And does it even need to be said that if your Windows password refers to your character name, you need to unplug? Because nothing spells success like taking a sick day to sit in your parents' basement, talking to other members of the Horde, and planning out your next quest. If you know what MMORPG stands for, get up turn off the computer, and check what day it is. And here's to you, O oh nerd of the netherworld, for actually thinking to yourself about a female elf. I'd tap that. Because we all know you wouldn't. You'd still be the same timid dipshit with a Second Life account, too scared to buy the penis. But buck up, king of quick fingers. You dream big, you play hard, and you waste time. Just hit the next level so you can call up your ex-wife, take the kids to the park, or walk your dog Azeroth. Because paying a monthly fee to be king of a fake world is freaking awesome. So bring on the horde, screw the alliance, make me an orc, kill me a night elf, 
deliver some goods, steal some gold, jerk off to an undead hottie, talk about a quest in a chat room, blow your life savings on some weapons, and be proud to say, my life sucks so bad that I'm going to start another one as a blood elf mage. The Cadaver Lab says, you're the coolest. Dude, we have listeners that play World of Warcraft. I hope I didn't offend anybody. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I've kicked everyone's ass on this show. I Listen, if you play World of Warcraft, you're retarded. <laughs> so if we have any listeners after that. <laughs> you know, I need to admit something. I oh, no. have played World of Warcraft. I, I played the free trial for about a half an hour, and I'm like, I this sucks. I, I think that this is going to be worse. What? I set up my own server, and all of us buddies played for a while at work. Really? <laughs> yes. We had, it all, we had our own server running from my place, and we all played during work to this server that I had at my, at my house. Wow. <laughs> Didn't last long, but uh, I've got, I played it. There's a lot of people I know that play it. You know what? A lo- you know, and, and that was pretty harsh, but... <laughs> <laughs> but Listen, I, you know if you're that guy or not. <laughs> everyone's like, oh, I'm not, I play, but I'm not that guy. Oh, I'm not in the basement. <laughs> I know what day it is. <laughs> Anyway, sorry about that. Oh, great. <laughs> All right. So it was either that or Special Olympians. So I went with the Warcraft. Uh, I'm failing to see the difference. There's not. I just couldn't think of anything else. All right. Just, just teasing. All right. Okay. So let's get into Friday the th- <laughs> that was That was That was pretty mean. <laughs> oh, okay. So... Before we get started, I wanted to mention something. I got a, I picked up a copy of uh, Friday the 13th, 2009, The Killer Cut, and I watched it. And I don't know, we we talked about it a little bit on the show earlier. We didn't do a, a, like a review of it or mm-hmm. anything like that, but I was unimpressed. Mm-hmm. And I got, I got this copy, and I watched it, and it was in the comfort of my own home, and I didn't have to worry about anything, and I actually kind of liked it. Mm-hmm. I think that, I think that, my expectations were maybe a little high, you know, going in, and then, you know, I felt, I don't know. But anyways, the killer cut has a lot more sex in it, oh, and, really? uh, which is which is good because every girl in that is so damn hot. Mm. Well, it good. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. The one big difference that I can still see from uh, this one, and then the ones from that we watched today or that we're gonna watch, is those kids were just like me. Like the kids were unlikable in the new one. You know, I mean, I yeah. th- I thought that the main smartass guy had a few funny things, but overall, I just I didn't like any of the kids. Was it because there was too much background on the kids? Maybe because in, in the the ones that we watched, you don't really know much about. Every once in a while, girls like, yeah, I had dreams about this guy that was chasing me. But for the most part, you don't know anything about those. No, those I kids. you know I don't know. I don't I don't really I don't remember them going too big a detail. You know, of the I mean, except for the guy who was looking for his sister, stupid brainless fun. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I, I liked it a lot better the second time. I don't think it was any worse than some of the the uh, sequels that we get. You know, coming yeah. up. You know, just because I mean, they get. I mean, even even part three got pretty. There was not much to it. You know, right? But uh, I love I love part three. You know, I love them all. So I don't know. I just maybe I I think my wife tells me that uh, I'm gonna like a movie 25 percent less automatically if I go to the theater. Because I really? get because I get bothered by people in the theater too oh. much. 
That's what she said. Mm-hmm. So maybe it was just maybe it was just that. Maybe I would have I would have liked it sixty uh, percent, but minus the twenty. Five percent, you know, that, that gets a little lower. Yeah. I remember when I watched it, there were some kids that looked way younger than eighteen in there. And when the sex started happening, I was embarrassed. A really, little bit. I was by myself in in uh, Phoenix. Oh yeah, and so I went and saw it, and I just remember thinking, "Oh my gosh, really? There's a bunch of it's girls worse here on and, the DVD." Yeah, I mean, there's. Well, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not checking that out then because I'm very comfortable around sexual <laughs> topics. <laughs> anyway, all right. So I just wanted to get that out there before we really got into. It. Are we going to do? We're not going to review that as part of this, are we? Are no, we? Okay, I don't I, think so. I, f- I figure we could just talk about that just yeah. briefly, and then, but we'll go over all the way through uh, Jason, Freddy versus Jason. Yep, sweet. A couple of things. The for Friday the Thirteenth Part One. Uh, actually, let's just get into it. Uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Came out in 1980. IMDb gave it a 6.3. Sean S. Cunningham, who produced Last House on the Left, uh, actually both versions, the original and the remake, uh, was a director. Victor Miller, who openly admitted that this that, that he ripped off Halloween when he wrote this, wrote wrote uh, huh. Friday Thirteen. Yeah, he was just like, yeah, it was cool. It was tense and scary, so I ripped it off. <laughs> uh, the effects were done by. 
Tom Savini, as we should all know. Uh, the budget was estimated about 550000 gross about $39 million domestic and $59.7 million overall. So this movie kicked ass, mm-hmm. as far as that's concerned. Uh, and also, Harry Manfredi did the, uh, did the score. And I mention that because I think the score has a lot, a lot to do in this, uh, in this film. And uh, In fact, uh, it's funny because I, I was watching number, or I think it was number two, my wife came in and, uh, you know, there's the score, the ch ch Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. And, uh, you know, all those things. And I, I remember I was telling my wife that I think that the, the, the soundtrack is awesome for the movie. I tried to listen to it one time at work. It just kind of stressed me out. Oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I couldn't do it there. Now, wait a second. Did, <clears throat> did you, what was the guy's name that did the score? Harry Manfredi. Harry Manfredi. Did he do the, the Reanimator series? I don't know. Because it, it was similar. Uh-huh. Was it? Anyways, I, I just was curious. I'm not sure. We could look it up. Um, Betsy Palmer played Mrs. Voorhees. Adrian King played Alice. Janine Taylor played Marcy. Robbie Morgan played Annie. Kevin Bacon played Jack. Harry <clears throat> Harry Crosby played Bill. Lori Bartram played Brenda. Mark Nelson played Ned. Pete Peter Brower played Steve Christie. And Ari Lehman played Jason. And uh, I met Ari Lehman at uh, Horrorhound. He's a weird little dude. Is it the same guy that plays the little uh, banjo player on Deliverance? Is that the same guy? <laughs> no, but oh. I will say that uh, this guy's probably, uh, he's, he's really kind of short, but he has like this, these long, uh, like Weird Al-esque locks. And he has like an old magician mustache and goatee, and he's just like really weird looking. Or he, he's not weird looking, but he's just kind of this weird little dude. He, really? was, he was pretty cool horror hound, though. Hmm. Uh, synopsis. In 1957 at Camp Crystal Lake, a young boy named Jason Voorhees drowned. In 1958, two camp counselors were murdered. In 1962, fires and bad water thwarted the camp's reopening. Now, in 1980... Steve Christie finally opens up Camp Crystal Lake with the help of a few new counselors. Ignoring the warnings from a local wacko, the murders start once again with a mysterious st- while a mysterious stalker prowls the area. Is it revenge that the killer is looking for? Who will survive the nightmare and live to tell the story? What do you think? Well, first of all, I knew the whole time that it was Mrs. Voorhees that was the killer. You just blew it. <laughs> you just spoiled the whole movie for everybody. Okay. Listen, if you have not seen the show, you need to get out of the shell that you've been living. Get out from underneath the shell you've been living under, because, dude, I have to. This movie it starts off really awesome. I mean, yeah. you start off with the with the picture of the moon. And there's all these counselors in the in this camp. They're you know singing Michael Row the Boat Ashore. Oh my god! You know, by the way, which apparently they did that in 1950s. No, they still do that stuff. Really? Well, I haven't been to a camp in. <laughs> for so damn long, but uh, apparently Sam doesn't. He's going to be having fun with the scouts in a couple of weeks. Next week, yeah. But uh, so they go upstairs, get it on, and then they then they're you know doing it. They get busted, but then uh, the part that the part that used to really get me when I was a kid, instead of just like watching the whole scene, it like freezes on the girl's face, and it kind of fades out, kind of burns out, and then it goes right into the the theme music, which I love. And I guess it just has such a big nostalgic thing for me mm-hmm. you know and i just that one part gets me all excited but uh, trying to watch it and, and uh, you know be critical of it now you know i think this movie is still really good well and that's the thing about it is you know i tried to watch it <clears throat> by thinking about how would i react if i watched this in the theater didn't know what was going to happen right. after the movie this movie was really good well i agree with you i mean the story was really i mean it was it was simple 
Mm-hmm. All these camp counselors are showing up to Camp Crystal Lake. They show up, you know, one or a few at a time. Um, one girl is hitchhiking there. And by the way, when she picked up a ride, did you notice how bad that guy caught a feel in her ass? I, I noticed that. <laughs> oh, that that dude is a dirty old man. Yeah. But uh, anyways, everybody's warning him against it. Everybody in the, in the town is telling them, no, this is dumb. And basically they get picked off one by one until we finally figure out who the killer could be. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, we don't want to give that away, right? But, uh, I mean, how simple is that? I mean, and honestly, we have the backstory. I mean, let's compare this to Halloween. It's like the exact same thing, you know, where, you know, we get a little bit of the killer backstory. The difference is, is in Halloween, we know who the killer is the whole time. Mm-hmm. And this one, we don't until the end. But in essence, it's the same thing. They pick, they pick people off. Uh, Tom Savini in 1980 did excellent effects. I mean... You can tell that they don't hold up now as as well as they probably did, you know, when this first came out. But I got to say that these are some of the most fun death scenes that, that you know you see in a long time. They're creative, they're gruesome, they're gory. But I mean, you know, and they're and they're not like hostile or or saw gory. But but basically, it's uh, you know you hear Tom Savini talk about it. It's like. He has, it's funny because he kind of has a method. And I think we talked about this when we talked about the burning a little bit. He has a little, a method when he, when he sets up a, a, you know, a gag or a, you know, a gore scene. What he'll do is he'll, he'll take the weapon, you know, and then they'll show it hitting a wall or something to uh, show the audience that this is a real machete, that, you know, this is a real weapon or whatever. And then the next scene, you'll see it like go through somebody, you know. So right after we've seen, you know, this weapon make a big dent in the wall or something like that. We'll see it kill somebody off, you know, and it's really believable. I mean, I'm a sucker for these practical effects, and I'm a sucker, even though they don't look as real, of all these 80s-type effects. They are just so awesome, and I mean, I don't want to sound all weird, but, I mean, don't you think that they have a lot more soul to them than, like, a lot of the CGI well, stuff? Well, yeah, there's a lot more thought that goes into it, and they, they tried so hard to make it look real. There was one scene, and I can't remember who it was that it happened to, but got her throat slit. Yeah. And you could tell that's her body, yeah. that's her head, and there was something that went across her neck, uh-huh. and it slit her throat, she started bleeding. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it looked very real. I was like, wow, that is impressive. Even the stuff underneath yeah. the skin. It was like, just like, like guts or yeah, flesh. Yeah, when, when Kevin Bacon gets stabbed through awesome. the neck. I still look at that. I'm like, how, how did they do that? Case that in was point, great. Let, let, we, you and I just went and saw Drag Me to Hell. Yes. I thought that movie was awesome. Yeah, I was. liked that movie a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, except for the fact that there were a couple of parts where they CGI'd the effects, you know, and it just kind of, I mean, it was funny it, because I, it was meant to be funny, but if they had been real practical effects, it would have been so much better. Yeah. Remember when she was in the, she was in the shed or something, and, and there's an anvil on a rope or some crap. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then it smashes that lady, and then her eyeball pops out yeah. or some crap. That was all CGI. Yeah, right. I really would have wished that they would have done that, uh, um, you know, with practical effects. But, and, and, you know, the thing is, Sam Raimi's done that before. Well... In, in, in Evil Dead 2, right. when they smashed the, the demon moms with the... With the little uh, door to the cellar and her right. eyeball popped out. Right. That would have been great there. Well, and yeah, and, and luckily he did a mix because there were parts in Drag Me to Hell where, like when the old lady falls on, on uh, I can't remember what her name, it's Allison. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And the stuff starts coming up. That was real. That was and, that, and that's why it was like, ah! Because it was a real effect. Oh, yeah. It, it, 
It was and so those were the best ones. And when she like mouthed her chin, yeah, those were the best. Those were the effects. best. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, there was one funny, really absolutely hilarious uh, CGI effect is when that uh, that goat started talking. <laughs> Do you remember? Oh that? yeah, <laughs> that yeah, was yeah. Awesome. <laughs> but I I don't know if you could have done that. You no. Know, any other way. Yeah. Maybe. You just have to feed the goat something and it's going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you have somebody talk over it. Kind of like Lancelot Leak Secret <laughs> Chip. Do you even know what that is? No. It's an old show where they had chimpanzees play all the parts. Anyways, we've, nice. got, we've gotten way off track. Yeah. But to, I think Tom Savini made this show, mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 it was a coupling of the of the effects. It was a coupling of the suspense. Because you know what? It, I remember watching. Let me. I'll tell you a little story about this. And I went over this on the, on the forums. We, we went to a father and son scouting camp. Okay, and there's a BYU game that night, a basketball game. So my dad brought up this little TV, and it happened to be Friday the 13th. So we watched the game up there. You know, one of those where it just had like an antenna, Mm -hmm. and it was black and white and whatever. And, God, the screen had to be like four inches. I mean, it was tiny. We had our giant Chevy van, you know. And so we watched the game, and afterwards, you know, I can't, you know, and it was dark, you know, whatever. We we went, I went back by myself into the... uh, uh, the van and just started. I turned on the TV and I and I found Friday the Thirteenth and I'd been seeing commercials for it all like week long, and you know I'm like I gotta watch this man. I'm gonna it's gonna scare the shit out of me whatever. <laughs> but so I go in there and I turned it on and my dad ended up coming in and watching it with me because he figured ah oh, what the hell I mean it's on TV right you know so they're gonna cut out all the nasty parts and they I assume they did I don't really remember. But I'll tell you what, and this is a spoiler too, but if we have to really say spoiler alert for this, you deserve a kick in the balls. Yes. But um, basically, um, you know, the whole thing freaked me out. I'm on edge. I'm on edge. She goes out into the, into the lake, and when that damn little piece of shit, Jason, came out of the water and took her, I had nightmares about that all night long. Really? I didn't sleep a wink. Really? And I, I'll tell you what, freaking, I didn't sleep for a week after that. It freaked me out so bad, and it, it was just so effective. And I mean, and so I have to say that a little bit when I watch it even now, and I've seen it all oh, hundreds of times—not really hundreds, but probably you know fifty times since then—it's like I still get that little feeling because I remember what it was like on that little four-inch, uh, you know, TV out in the middle of nowhere. You know what's funny is the first time I watched this was probably five years ago. Really. I and and I that's why I joke around about you know what I said at the beginning of of when we started talking about the movie. <clears throat> I'd assume Jason was a killer for all of them. Oh yeah. So I'm watching this. I had no idea until really? the very end. So it really was a surprise to me. And I thought, wow, this is really well, this was good. I didn't know that. So tell me, I mean, tell me what were your, what were some of your favorite? Do you remember like some of your favorite parts and all that stuff? I mean, did it get to you even though it was only you were you were you know an adult? Yeah, well, him jumping out of the boat got to me. I was like, oh, shit. I didn't know that was coming. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, it, it's kind of like, and I, I'm not going to go back into that, but, you know, we I've seen this a, a bunch of times in different movies. Oh, yeah. Right? So so people have, have stolen from this. Do you know what they? Do you know what these guys stole it from? You Carrie. From, oh, from the, Carrie? The, no, the, 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 well, he's, he wrote the thing. Uh, of Halloween, of, uh, right. based on like Halloween, right? But he was like, "Have you ever, you know the carry the last scene when when uh, maybe we shouldn't spoil that one too, where, where everything seems to be fine, then all of a sudden something comes out and scares the shit out of you." Yeah, that's what that's where this guy said. Interesting. Well, let's pull a carry because honestly, this that last scene wasn't even part of the original script, mm-hmm. and Tom Savini actually suggested that they do something like that. Oh, really? And the writer's like, "Yeah, let's let's do something like just like right out of carry." So right. basically, this is a. A Halloween slash Carrie ripoff, huh. 
But I, but for some reason, I like this movie better than both of those. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think it was done. The characters were compelling, even though the gay cowboy Steve at the very beginning was <laughs> was a little obnoxious. I'm yeah, just like, what the just, hell? Just listen. Who, whoever in the in the history of time would ever think that it's okay to be dressed like that? No, listen. This goes back to the, my '80s theory with Rob Lowe. And, uh, you know, with weird, with dudes like dancing like that in the uh-huh. 80s with all those bright colors on, I think, I think that was just all right. I think that was just normal back then because he had the biggest porn stash. Oh, yeah. This is a porn stash that Apocalypse Dan can be proud of. <laughs> <laughs> the probably one that he's sporting right now, too. It was awesome because <laughs> Steve also had kind of a white guy fro. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and, and was he at one point wearing shorts with suspenders on? No, that was another dude was oh. wearing long pants with suspenders and no shirt. Oh, all right. Either oh, way. Oh, I paid attention to that stuff. <laughs> like, okay, note to self, don't dress like that. <laughs> That's funny. You have to make a note to yourself. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite characters was Crazy Ralph. You know, oh, the, yeah? The guy in the city. Okay, so we have Crazy Ralph. You've got a death, cuz. You're all going to die. Whatever, you know. The thing is... We think people like that are crazy, but he was right. That's he, a great point. He is a prophet. Oh, he knew exactly what he was talking about. He didn't. Ha- he didn't make it happen himself. So he obviously wasn't crazy. We did. We don't appreciate people like that. That's anymore. a good point, man. A, a pro- he was prophetic. Wow. You know? I, I need, not. Lo- I still thought I he was crazy. To, I need to quit judging people by the the, the cover. Thank by, you, by Crazy Ralph, for Th- exactly. bringing that to the. Do you remember forefront? how? What was I telling you? Remember that bum? That uh, yelled at us outside of sushi that one time. Oh yeah, yeah, he, yeah. When I looked down at him, I thought he was crazy Ralph. And you're like, he and may I thought, be right. Well, no. And after watching this, I'm like, man, I should have given that bum a little more respect. Yeah. I can't remember what he said to me, but it was hilarious. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, I hated that Kevin Bacon was in a speedo. Yeah. Um, if you put George Costanza in this movie, you have the burning. Yep. And uh, didn't Savini go do the burning? He did okay, instead of okay. part two. That's right. So, which is kind of a bummer. Oh, this is interesting. Uh, do, you, do you think we've gone over the plot enough? I mean, I don't. There were some awesome kills. There was uh, Kevin Bacon that got like a, an arrow up through his thing. There, I mean, they were all pretty, mm-hmm. pretty cool and pretty gruesome. You know, I, I think with every uh, sequel, they get just a little bit uh, more inventive. I, you know, actually, I don't think that number two. I like number one's kills better than number two, mm-hmm. but number three had some great kills. Yeah. Um, Gene Siskel, he did a review on this when it came out. Oh, he did? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this. Uh, let's see. He called Cunningham one of the most despicable creatures ever to infest the movie business because he'd done this in Last House on the Left. You know, oh. well, you know what's shocking to me is... No, now I'm not going to say anything. Last House on the Left, to this day, the original 1972 version That's is brutal. brutal. That is brutal. And is disturbing. Yep. But this one isn't... I mean, where it, it's almost as if... Uh, he, uh, what's his name? Siskel had never seen any of the uh, Italian giallos or any of that because I mean, this, there was nothing in there that yeah, in Friday Thirteenth it wasn't in that. I mean, I wonder, I wonder if he was just trying to make him a scapegoat or maybe he just hates him or something. Well, and I, you know, along with that though, those guys are puppets. I mean, let's let's be honest about oh, yeah. that. So if if the the prevalent, um, I don't want to say theory, but the prevalent opinion of the time is that this movie was shit. Yeah. He was going to echo that anyways. Whether yeah. he saw it or not, he was still going to say well, it. Well, you know, and that's, I, I completely agree with you, but that's not even bringing up the fact that my whole life, if if there is ever a reviewer, like a like a straight reviewer, meaning not, not just a horror reviewer, um, but just like a normal people movie reviewer, that if they like a horror movie, I typically won't like it. 
I think the I think that's happened a couple times where like for instance they liked like the ring got good reviews and stuff like that. But mostly mostly Well it dragged me to hell. Did did that get panned? I don't even know. I went to Rotten Tomatoes after we went and saw it. Ninety seven percent positive. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, I'm shocked. There was only one review on this giant page that said, Ah, it's boring and I didn't like it at all. Everyone else is like, This is hilarious, this is a great show. Shocked. I you know, you typically you just have to go in and, and see for yourself and that's what I've learned. You need to see. You need to find out for yourself on yeah. these horror movies because you're not going unless it's like a buddy or something. You're not going to get a good. Well, you know what's I funny. You can get, I don't think people can be consistent. I'm gonna, you know, as a point. I went on a fishing trip with a bunch of guys that did not watch horror movies, but uh-huh. I took all my horror movies. We're sitting around playing cards, and I throw on the Evil Dead. Uh-huh. And we sat and watched it. And these guys that had said, "I can't, I can't watch horror movies. They scare me," or you Pussies. know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, they thought it was freaking hilarious because I was laughing at parts. And if I wouldn't have been there laughing at stuff and telling them it was funny, they probably wouldn't have thought it was funny. But like, I'm like, this was actually uh, rated X because of a tree rape scene. Yes. So um, the tree rape scene's still in it, but it's since been downgraded to rated R, just in case everybody knows. I kind of looked at me like thinking I was joking around. I'm like, no, I'm serious. <laughs> I said it's not that bad of a tree rape scene, if considering tree well, rape. Well, I mean, if, if you go throughout all of time and yeah. all the tree rape scenes that have been <laughs> This is pretty tame. Yeah. But they were laughing through the whole thing. So I really think it has a lot to do with your mood and you know everything else that goes along right. with it But and who you're watching. Well, with, and so. the thing is, I think a lot of people don't get horror is a, yeah. in general. I yep. think that they just, I think a lot of people don't get it. I think my wife doesn't get it. And I've told her that. I said, Ember, this stuff is supposed to be funny. Right. You know, th- this is hilarious. Well, I don't find it funny. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's because you're not looking at it the right way. But, or it's uh, someone who's on Martyrs for their very first horror movie. <laughs> Oh wow! This is so funny. She's yeah. getting the shit kicked out. Yeah, of but I no, but I'm just saying. Then they're like, no, nah, there's nothing funny about horror. No, there, there it was really that. just depends on what what you've been exposed to. Yeah. Well, anyway, God, we we go on a lot of tangents. Yeah, here. sorry. But he, no, 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 my bad too. You know what he? You know what Siskel did? He published Betsy Palmer's home address and encouraged fellow detractors to write her and express their contempt for the film. You believe that shit? Really? He ended up accidentally publishing the wrong address. But what a dick smack! Yeah. I mean that you, that's like I, think I deserved what he got in the end. You know what's funny is th- <laughs> too soon. Sorry. No, it's not. I hate that oh, ass. Oh, okay, but listen, um, uh, which one is he? Was he the tall or the tall, fat? Okay, tall. is the fat still alive? Uh, I don't. I don't know if he's. I don't not. give a shit. Who cares? But uh, th- what a dick smack move. But the thing is, is Adrian King, who played Alice, actually had a stalker. A full-on stalker because of how big of a fan he was of, of the original Friday the 13th. And I was watching extras on My Name is Jason this morning, and uh, it, which is an awesome documentary. Uh, but uh, I, was, I was watching some extras, and she was talking about it, and she, it freaked her out. Really? You know, and for some guy to do that, what an asshole. You know, and I, guess, I mean, he's dead now. So, but He is? You know, what, Siskel, didn't you say? Oh, oh! I thought you meant that Stalker was an asshole. Oh no, no, no! Well, he's oh, an he asshole is. too. But, but uh, no. And, and she was showing some of her art. Uh, Adrian King was, and all of her art was like about how trapped she felt because of this Stalker. You know what? I mean, Wait, should. but he didn't publish her address, right? No, no, no. He did Betsy Palmer. Paul, yeah, was, well, I'm I'm making a thing saying since th- there are people out right. there like this, what an asshole you are to do that to Betsy. Yeah. You know Palmer, and it's like wow. He could get his ass sued hard for that. I I, I wonder if he did. You know, I well, he ended up publishing the wrong address anyways because he's a dumbass. But um, at least that's what I read. Uh, let's see. He Cisco and Roger Ebert spent a whole episode berating the film because they felt like it would make audiences root for the killer. Uh, Are you serious? Yeah. 
So hmm. we've uh, God, we didn't we we weren't very focused on that review. But uh, I think we got some good things out there, though. I mean, we. But listen, like I said, I mean, bone saw. Yeah, freaking bone saw. No, no question about it. I love this movie. In fact, I will watch this movie again right now. I, I spent. I didn't go to work today, and I spent all day watching parts one, two, and three. And then I turned on. His name is Jason, and I enjoyed every second of it. You know, these are these are awesome movies, and I know we're going to talk about them. And I, I just kind of now you now no one's in suspense about how I feel about the other two. Yeah, that's right. I'm just teasing. No, great movie. Anything you got? I've got uh, three memories count. Three memories? Yeah, three on the memory count. What? Where? Um, now I'm trying to think of what it was. I don't. I don't really remember. It's got to have some. I watched it this freaking morning. Was it the shower scene? I can't. Know I, I'm getting them all now. mixed up because I wa- watched them all in one day. Anyway, I uh, actually no. It was uh, Kevin Bacon's girlfriend while they're in. Oh, bed. you're right. Yep, that's what it was. Uh, did you add Kevin Bacon's in that? <laughs> His uh, any weenie, um, you know. There was also in there. Th- there was a cannibal holocaust moment. They actually killed a snake. They did. It was a real, real snake. Yeah, that was really. That, yeah. Anyways, it brought me back to cannibal holocaust. You know, I'm wondering why. I guess uh, they didn't give me. They didn't get any shit for that. As far no, as I could not tell, not back in the day. You could hurt animals all you well, want. Well, that <laughs> cannibal holocaust came out real close to that. Yeah. Same time. And he got a lot of shit. Well, that's because they did a bunch of <laughs> monkey faces off and stuff. Anyways. Anyway. Uh, what did I learn? You can play strip anything. Strip, strip Monopoly. Monopoly was awesome. Uh, who else said that? If you mix that stuff just right, you get all the protein you need. That is the authors of Cooking with Semen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bill, can I come? That was Monica Lewinsky. And it's one? over. It's all over. That is Kevin Bacon's career. What? Now, I'm, no offense Let me tell you, you something. No offense to you, but Kevin Bacon, out of everybody on that show, is the only one that but still has a career. Let me tell you something. I have a who else said that about Kevin Bacon's career for every movie because he's an asshole for not claiming that he was he in it. He is an asshole. So screw him. I'm going to make fun of his career in every single movie. We talked about this on the forums. I think we even talked about it last time. But Kevin Bacon gets a, gets the kick in the balls award for this episode for being ashamed that he was in Friday the 13th yeah. and... Because uh, he's such a highbrow, higher class actor now. Listen, go back and tell him you want to paint, uh, a, you know, baggy swimming suit if you're ashamed of yourself <laughs> instead of the speedo. But but you know, claim you know, remember your roots. Exactly. Anyways, all right. So the six degrees I went through, dumbass bacon. Uh, he was in Mystic River with Tim Robbins, who's in the Hudsucker Proxy with Bruce Campbell. Boom. Is that it? That is it for that one. Take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Ah, yes, my lords and ladies. I, Lord Autologous Bloodraw, High Lord of the Royal Realms of Geekdom, want to invite you, yes, you, and as many friends as you can cram into your car, to Lord Bloodraw's Nerve Rackin' Theater. Ha <laughs> ha! Horror movies under the stars. Two nights only in September, Saturday, September 12th. I will present the touching story of a boy, a girl, and a man-eating plant. That's right, Roger Corman's 1960 cult classic, The Little Shop of Horrors. And Saturday, September 26th, it will be my profound honor to present the film that began the zombie genre, George Romero's original horror epic, Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> Horror movies, trailers, and general mayhem. 
Two Saturdays in September. Saturday, September 12th, and Saturday, September 26th. Gather the gang. Bring a picnic. Buy a fine bottle of Chenard wine. Slip into the grip of the grape and quiver, shiver, and shake. These shows are by reservation only. Make your reservations early. They will sell out. Call 510-589-9900 sooner than immediately. Just $20 a carload. What a bargain. Shows at 7.30. Gates open at 6.30. Also, check out myspace.com slash lordbloodraw. That's L-O-R-D-B-L-O-O-D-R-A-H for more geeky goodness. Lord Blood Raw's nerve-wracking theater. Only at the Chenard Winery. Ha-ha! <laughs> Geek out! If you ever meet a mold of a teen girl's face in the side of an RV If you've ever had your face smashed in, then you've seen me have you ever impaled a guy right on his wiener as he screams? If you've ever impaled a wiener, then you see me. You see me at common standard every door. You see me, I always leave with less than I had before. You see me, but I can make you smile. I'm an old, broken-down piece of meat. I just don't want you to hate me. Have you ever had a wet hot rock shoved in your guts while you take a steam? If you've ever had a rock in your guts, you see me. Have you ever been folded backwards on your bed or near a tree? If you've ever been folded backwards, you see me. My special, special boy. Have you ever tried to kill someone while a bald Corey Feldman screams? Jason! If you've ever seen a bald Corey Feldman, you see me. Now, what do you think? What do you think about this? Boys. Yeah? Welcome to Delta. Are you a SkyMiles member? No. All right. From here, you can say, check arrivals and departures, access my SkyMiles account using our automated system, or to speak with someone directly, say, representative. Which would you like? Representative? Which would you like to do? Say, shop for a flight, discuss my existing reservation, or do something else. Do something else? To get you to the right representative as quickly as possible, are you calling about domestic or international travel? Domestic. Let me connect you to a Delta representative. One moment, please. Thanks for holding. This is How can I help you today? 
Hi, I've got a question for you, and, and, and it's it's a little embarrassing, but I, I got to find out if uh, if I can do this or not. Um, I've got my mom is in the hospital; she's in Atlanta, and I've got to fly out to see her. I I just had surgery, and I've got bandages on, and so I, the sur the surgery was on my penis, and so I've got bandages on, and I, I'm not supposed to have restricted clothing on, so I'm a little concerned when I get on the flight. I mean. It's going to be pretty conspicuous as to my area down there, and I, I'm just I'm wondering if that's going to be a problem if I get on there. I mean, I'm, I'm going to try and cover it up as much as possible, but I just don't know if there's any sort of like rules or anything like that 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 I have to worry about when it comes to getting on the flight. No, I mean, as long as you're able to go, like, um, as long as you can, you know, as long as they check you out through security, then you're fine. So, because, so, cause, you know, they know some people, you know, different circumstances for people and so. so well, and that's kind like, that's kind of what I was, thing, that's kind of what I was thinking, but I mean, I'm imagining I get on the flight and I'm walking down the aisle and I mean, it's going to look like I've got, like I've got an erection, the, the whole, like I'm walking down and then when I sit down, I'm going to, I'm going to try and put a pillow on there, but at the end of the day, I mean, it has to, I, I have to, like, have it exposed. Not, I mean, it'll have bandages on it, but it's got to be out because I can't have the restricted clothing. So that's what I mean. I, I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm totally embarrassed about it, but at the same time, I mean, I want to make sure that when I get on that flight, there's not going to be any problem with, like, a flight attendant or someone sitting by me. I just, I don't want to have any problems. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah, sir. I mean, um, if you want, I mean, you could, you don't have to, you don't have to, like, Give them a heads up, but if like you want, you could, you know, like kind of talk to them. Okay, so so you mean like? There, but I mean, you don't. It's not. You don't have to. So I can just tell. I can just like when I check in up front, I can just say, "Hey, listen, I've got a medical condi medical condition. I had surgery on my penis. It's, it may it may stick out while it's on the flight, but you know, I just want you guys to know that it's not like I'm a pervert or anything. It's just I've got right. circumstances. Is that is that yeah. is that basically what we're okay? All right, so I can go ahead and book, and there's not going to be any problems with that, is what you're telling me. Yeah, you're fine. Okay. Well, great. Well, then I will, uh, I'm going to check in some flights, and uh, and then I'll just make a reservation. I really appreciate your help. Okay, you're welcome, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, you go and harass all these nice ladies. God, you know, I don't know what it is, but, like, I just, I, I'm always thinking about junk, I guess, and so <laughs> I always have something that comes around it. You know, we should make a goal. We should make a goal. Not to talk about it the rest of the show. All right, let's do it. Starting now. Okay. Friday the 13th Part 2 came out in 1981. Balls! Uh, <laughs> On a June night in 1980, Friday the 13th, Twelve of her friends were murdered. Why should Friday the 13th, 1981, be any different? Friday the 13th, part two. The body count continues. Not over. 
Friday, the 13th. Part 2. <laughs> that, wow, that was a long stretch. Uh, came out, uh, or sorry, got a 5.5 on the IMDb. Uh, directed by Stephen Miner, written by Ron Kurtz. Uh, Tom Savini, like we said, did not do the effects on this because he went to do the burning, which is a bummer. Uh, budget was $1.25 million, but uh, it grossed $21.7 million domestic. The music was done, again, by Harry Manfredi. Uh, Amy Steele played Ginny Field. John Fury played Paul Holt. Adrian King played Allison, Alice Hardy. Uh, Kirsten Baker played Terry. Uh, Stuart Charno played Ted. And Warrington Gillette played Jason Voorhees during the unmasked scenes. But uh, Stephen Dash, or as he was credited in this, Stephen Daskowitz, played Jason during the masked scenes. Five years after the original Friday the 13th, a group of co-eds converges near a Camp Crystal Lake scene, scene of the original massacre and the drowning of Jason Voorhees that preceded it. This time around, the horny collegians attended a nearby training school for camp counselors. As half the group parties in town, an unseen assailant picks off the other half one by one. Only when camp leader <clears throat> Paul and his girlfriend Ginny return to camp do they uncover the identity of their stalker. It was none other than Jason himself. Alive, but behind, the, but grotesquely deformed as a result of his childhood drowning. Flashbacks chronicle Jason's behind-the-scenes activities in the first film. Um, the young couple's only hope to defeat the fiend lies in psych major Ginny's insights in Jason's mental state, which I thought was dumb. Oh, so gay. <laughs> so That was dumb. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, anyway, so what did you think about number two? Well, the first thing that I noticed about this one was that they couldn't go back to Crystal Lake. Right. Because there's only so many times you can go back to the well for an idea, right? Oh, yeah, because changing it to be a camp like a quarter mile down the road is... uh... Hey, it's completely different, man. Oh, and by the way, get ready for the next 20 sequels where they all go to Crystal Lake. Oh, I know. (laughs) No, but uh, this was was a good follow-up to... Friday the 13th. One of the things I like about these movies is that they're fairly short. So you get in... Well, not to mention the fact that they tell they flash back to the, to right. the one that preceded them for 15 minutes yeah. in the so, beginning. so, I mean, so, you know, they're fairly short. So you get in, people start dying, and then there's a big chase, and, and you know, there's some sex along the way. So... This is just a continuation, basically, of the first one, oh, obviously. Yeah. obviously. Well, but it, it's, it takes it's place the five same, years later. It's but, in the same vein. It's well, same and, and here's the thing. Every... I noticed this, and I'm going to get the bad out before before we start talking about the good. This what this basically took the formula from the first one and redid it exactly. And I think number three does that too. Number three is even closer to number one. So I mean, there's nothing new here. There, you, you basically have a, a reason for a bunch of kids to be up at Crystal Lake. You know, you have, you know, them making questionable moral choices. I guess apparently. And then you die. They have different places, and they set up different kill scenes and stuff like that. But in essence, it's the same thing. Right. But it's still good. That's well, and that's what I'm going to say. That was my next thing, is even though that's the case, I, I, I really like this movie. Yeah, there's still there's more characters that are in there that you, you, know, you kind of like or think are funny. So there's some funny things going along, because you know what's going to happen. Oh, well, yeah. actually, I don't know if you know what's going to happen if you haven't seen 3 or know where the series is going, because uh-huh. Mrs. Voorhees... Was a killer last time, so I guess you're kind of assuming that Jason um, came out. Now, now here's a question that I, 
I've always been confused with, and after watching him this time, I wonder if it's been resolved a little bit. So, <clears throat> Jason drowned in the water. Yes. But then he came back, and he's a grown-up man, and he Well, is, this is 30 years later, too. Right, but are we saying that he got out of the water at that point? Well, and that's a good question, because, I mean, um, Mrs. Voorhees in the first one said he drowned in the lake. And um, but, so, the, but but did he actually drown? Is that, that your that's, question? That's my question. Yeah. That's what I think happened is that he didn't actually drown, um, but that that he ended up living somehow and he was in the forest for a while, <laughs> for thirty years or something. Yeah, like without his mom knowing. Yeah, it could be that there, and that's probably well because you also have to realize too that when he comes back in this, he is straight out of. Uh, uh, like deliverance. I mean, he's or not deliverance, but I guess deliverance. But I was thinking wrong turn. But they, but at the very beginning, the reason why I brought this up is that um, number two at the very beginning they talked about how his body was never found. So right. I was assuming that that's how they were explaining that they've got this guy that can bleed and die supposedly because he wasn't inhuman, right? But that that they never found his body, so that's why he's alive. But they didn't go into too much detail. Anyways, that's just something that I had thought of. Well, in in. I, you know, I, I'm with you. I think that uh, he just kind of got lost. Well, and here's a question. But then, but then this doesn't bring up this thing. Okay, so he drowned in 1957. Yeah. They closed the camp down in 1958. And the present day, but we'll just, you know, is, is when the first one kind of opens up with the main story. But let's just say it's 1980. Mm-hmm. So between 1958 and 1980, she didn't know that Jason was still alive? Yeah. I mean, that's... I'm, no, it, that, I mean, he, I don't he know. He had that house. That was out there in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's 22 years. I mean, that's a long time. Right. That's... So he's, he's, this house is built that he's obviously built, I, right. I would think. She's still um, and, and so, you know, she she was off doing whatever she that was doing. That seems kind of silly. Yeah. <laughs> we're they... reading way too far into it because I'm sure they didn't care. But... You know you know what? I would like to think, but I don't think it is. I, I don't know. I am a fan of the supernatural killer. Yeah. I would like to think that somehow he came back, but I just I don't think it is. I think he's been living out in the woods. I'm surprised no one's ever explained that. Well, who knows if they have? I just haven't read it. <laughs> yeah, well. Anyway. Anyways, all right. So, off I, you know, anyways. Another question I have about this movie uh-huh. is, do these girls stand the test of time? As far as looks? Like, do they look good back in the day? Like, if we assume that this was a movie that happened now. Uh-huh. Do they, do they look good now? Like Com- it, compared to like Megan Fox and no, some well, other. and that's the thing. You you look at the girls that were in the remake, yeah. and they are like way hotter right. than these girls here. But the thing is, maybe it had to do with styles and non fake boobs and stuff like that. Well, I think it? so. The the one that I thought was the hottest was it in this one? No, it's Terry in number three. Terry in number three was definitely <laughs> the hottest. Well, but yeah, she. I mean, she was she was pretty hot. She was any hot. any time except for she kind of had a butterface. I was just hoping Are you that serious? no. I was just hoping that I would get a reaction. No, out dude, there were other ones that had butterfaces, but Terry was hot all the way around. But no, Terry was in number two. No, she was in number three. Are you sure? No, I'm pretty sure Terry was in number two. No, she is number yeah. two. You're right. Yeah, she was. In yeah, she two. was hot. And you know what? We get some diversity for like a split second. There was a black guy and a Chinese girl. But they went. You saw him get up to go to the bar, and then that was the last <laughs> time you saw him. <laughs> oh, but sweet. <laughs> Yeah. See, you know, it's it's progressive. I love it. The series is going progressive a little bit. But I had forgotten that all those people went to the bar. Yeah. Until I watched, because I watched these again, 
as I was running on the treadmill, I think I told you like uh-huh. a, a couple months back, uh-huh. I got all the way halfway through number six. Uh-huh. And then, we, you know, we started talking about doing these. But I had forgotten that, the, that there was a whole group of kids that were at the bar that okay. didn't even come into play in the movie. No, they came back. No, they did not. The The redheaded guy didn't. No. Yeah, he didn't. Neither the Chinese, the black guy. They're, the only people that came back the were Chinese, Jenny. The black guy. I don't even remember that. That's guys. what I'm saying. They're mm. all sitting around, and, and uh, Paul, I think it's Paul. No, Ted. Ted goes, all right, it's your last night out on the town or something, so uh-huh. who wants to go? And some people raise their hands. Uh-huh. The black guy's like, oh, yeah, I'm going. And he's turning around talking to some people. And the Chinese girl's like, yeah, I'll go. And she stands up. So there's this group of people really? that end up. Yeah, there's I didn't there's even three that. groups of cars that go. And no, no, they no there are two cars. Are you sure? Two cars that go. The truck in the yellow car, or in the in the red car. Okay, and maybe the red it's two. Bug. But anyway, so then the only ones that come back are Ted and Jenny. Or the only ones that come back. You're right. I mean, but the only ones and you Steve see at the bar. Steve to come back, didn't he? Yeah. Well, yeah, but he was somewhere no, else. No, 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 Steve. no. You're right. No, Jenny. Steve was in the first one. It was just. Uh, that's what I meant. Ted. That's what I meant. Ted. It's Ted and Jenny come back. You're right. And the redhead stays behind, but it's only those three that you see at the bar. We don't see that redheaded dude again, do no, we? No, you don't see him, and you don't see the rest of the group that got up to go. That's what I'm saying. Uh, I you know what? The only guy, the only guy I remembered was a redheaded guy not coming back. Well, so. I just noticed the extras because, like I said, I'm like, oh, sweet diversity. Because I was wondering when the first black guy was going to be in the show, uh-huh. and uh, or in the movie. And and it ended up being this one. I'm like, oh, really? I don't even remember that happening. And the reason why is because they all go to the bar and they don't come back. Really? You're right. Which is just, I didn't even understand why they were in it. Listen, in this type of movie, we just forget about things like right. that. Anyhow, so we you know we get into the, the, the plot a little bit more. It's, I mean, it's a little bit different for a while. You know, people kind of pair off and, and you know, go do it. And there's some, uh, well, I'm getting mixed up with three, I think. But anyways, <laughs> but because, no, no, no. The wheelchair guy was in number two. And uh, he was in number two. Nope. Yes, he was. Nope. Yes, he was. Nope. Number three. No, he was in number two. No, nope, I in promise you he was in number the two. The wheelchair, I swear to you. No, because I thought he was in number three, but the wheelchair guy gets screwed because he's about to get it on, and then mm-hmm. he gets like a machete through the face. Yep, and goes down. that's number three. You know, we're looking at... We're looking at uh, what are we going to bet on it? What are we going to bet right uh, now? Let's see. Uh, uh, you tell me. What, what are we going to bet? I promise you he's in number two. I swear to you he's in number three. Okay, well, come on. His name's Steve. I have it written down that oh. he got screwed by not getting anyways, screwed. Anyways, anyways. So uh, let's bet Let's bet lunch. Okay, lunch it is. Okay. Looks yeah! Like, looks like I'll be paying up. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> you know, oh, and I thought I was so sure. You, ha- you had me doubting myself for a minute. Because now uh, we're watching it, which is awesome. Well, I just we threw, I threw it on to prove it to him, and now we're just gonna let it run. <laughs> but uh, okay, so the plot plot's really simple. See, look, there's the black guy and the Chinese girl. Where? Oh, you're right. Where do they go? To is the it, bar. It was too. It was too non politically correct to kill a black guy and a Chinese. Yeah, lady. you know what? You're Back right. Then probably. <laughs> How about that? Free lunch for Mikey. You deserve it. I should know better. So let's talk a little bit about the end. I mean, the the plot for the whole thing is pretty much, you know, pick off one by one. Uh, we finally have, uh, what is his name, Paul? Is his name Paul? Ted. Oh. Ted? Paul. It's Paul. You suck. <laughs> Dude, I do suck. <laughs> so anyways, basically at the end we have um, Ginny and Paul left. Uh, they find his little shack that he's been living in apparently for the last 20 some odd years. And uh, basically, he has a shrine to his mom with yeah. a head. 
you know, with the head there and, and whatnot. So, ba- I, I don't know. I mean, and this is the only real different part of the whole thing because I guess her psychology major comes into... Um, well, and they drop that hint yeah, it's early like, in the show, which is just—it's just, <laughs> just kind of silly. But so he, she figures out that if he—if she pretends that he's his mom, she won't kill him, and basically that just buys him enough time. That buys her enough time to uh, get away. And you know what uh, the whatever. funniest part about that was, though, what? when she puts the sweater on and she's looking straight at the head like it's a mirror, yeah. and she like fixes her hair. Yeah, like <laughs> try to look. What? Yeah. Are you serious? <laughs> oh yeah. But uh, that, that's basically it. At the end, though, it's like, uh, h- how does this one end? Uh, obviously, spoiler alert, but uh, they ended up killing They ended up killing him. Uh, th- thinking of killing him, they go back to the place, and he jumps through a window. Then all of a sudden, it kind of cuts, doesn't it? Yeah, it goes to her in a, in a Getting gurney. pulled away in a gurney, yeah, and we don't know what happened to Paul. She says, oh, where's Paul? They don't say anything. Right. So, I don't know. Sketchy ending? Don't don't uh, probably yeah, but uh, good movie. I give this a buy. I give this a buy too. Actually, so, I, was, I mean it was still. I thought really you were going to go bone saw, and I was going to be like, uh oh. No, I. It wasn't as good as the first one, and in my opinion, it's still a pretty decent one. Mm-hmm. But it's, there's just a couple of just real glaring weirdnesses. Right. Well, and the so, sex definitely gets hyped up more. I mean, the sexiness. There's more girls in panties bending over in yep. cars. There's tighter stuff. Like Terry's just. You see a Ferb Herger? Yeah, like short, cut-off belly shirt. You can see the bottom. raisins through the, yeah. the T-shirts and uh-huh. stuff. So they definitely they definitely exploit the things that, that made the first one good. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know. I still, I still really like oh, it. I do, too. I, I mean, do, too. So the mammary count was a six, and it was yeah. all in the shower. It was, you could barely see anything. I mean, it was mm-hmm. all... Well, you, no, you saw Terry's, no, too. No, it was Terry. That's yeah. what it was. It wasn't the shower. It was Terry. Um... Let's see here. What did I learn? Jason should be a Navy SEAL. That dude, like, one minute he's behind him looking, and then the next minute he's in front of him looking. Oh, yeah. He was all over. Never even heard him. And the other thing I learned was that Jason does have balls because Jenny kicked him and kicked he him. fell down. Uh, I did notice one thing. Ralph makes another appearance in this one. Yep, for he's a minute. He's been wearing the same clothes for five years. Yeah. He's still not crazy. <laughs> he's still prophetic. Um, um, one, let me say oh, one ahead. quick note. Uh, Steve Dash, who played... Uh, uh, Jason, when he had the mask on, suffered a really a big burn around his eye because you know how he's wearing that burlap sack. Yeah, they they taped it to around there, and and uh, I guess he had a problem with it, and it would just burn around his eye. And he also got thir- thirteen stitches in one scene where Ginny g- goes down to hack him. Yeah, they I guess they mi- missed the timing or something. They basically just screwed the. Uh, and so he got cut. He got thirteen stitches. Wow. Went and got it fixed. Came back and finished that scene that night. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Um, who else said that? Don't go anywhere, okay? That's Kevin Bacon's career. And the other you know, one. You see the irony here. Oh, I know. Okay. And then uh, Run, Jenny, Run was Forrest Gump. <laughs> run, Jenny. <laughs> so All right. Then I got a six degrees here. Okay. Stuart Chorno, who played Ted, was in Sleepwalkers with Ron Perlman, who was in Blade Two with Wesley Snipes, who was in White Men Can't Jump with Rosie Perez. Who was in It Could Happen to You with Bridget Fonda, who was in Army of Darkness with Bruce Campbell. Sleepwalkers was what? Was that the werewolf movie? Oh, that's Skinwalkers. No, that's a cat. Oh, you're right. Sleepwalkers Sleepwalkers was that. uh, That was a weird movie. Anyways, all right. In a dying world, only memory can save the living. J.P. Moore brings you Toothless, a zombie tale like no other. France, 
1180 AD. In life, he was Martin, a failed Templar knight, a father, a husband. In death, he is toothless, a gifted warrior, a leader among the risen dead, serving an ancient, marauding evil. But life is not yet done with him. Toothless, an exciting new audiobook by J.P. Moore. Visit jpmoreonline.com to start your journey. Back for Friday the 13th, part 3 in 3D. Weekends are a good time to escape to the woods. Unless the weekend begins with Friday the 13th. Because 13 is an unlucky number. But out here, so are 1 through 12. Because these are Jason's woods. And nobody leaves them alive. Jason, you can't fight him. You can't stop him. Now, when it comes to killing in Jason's woods, Jason will come to you. A new dimension in terror. It will scare you. Count on it. This was a 3D movie? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. You didn't you couldn't tell? Huh. There was all sorts of stupid shit lined up just just for the 3D. I have a little I have oh, a I little I didn't know that. Remember when uh, there there was one part when uh, what's his name? Uh, what the the weird dude, Shelly, threw his wallet at the girl in the in the oh, yeah. toy store went right at the thing. There was a yo-yo part. Oh yeah. It's coming down when the kids were playing base the baseball bat was like right back at the huh. thing. I remember when that stoner was like making popcorn? And it kept sh- it kept looking down on it, and the popcorn was like uh, flying up. 
I'll, you know, it's so funny. And there's a couple like where Jason would would like stick a stick right at it. But most of the 3D gags weren't even part of the movie. <laughs> it's not like my bloody Valentine. 3D. No, that was uh, that that uh, the 3D Ralph. in that was awesome. There's crazy Ralph the Prophet on the TV right now, folks. The Rip. Prophet Peep, uh, <laughs> peeping Tom. So what? Peeping Tom. Anyways, well, you know that's uh, that kind of never mind. Uh, if year. you were gonna say who doesn't, I. Never mind. None. What? You're going to what? Nothing. You're going to buy me lunch. That's Not what. Oh, I'm shit. just teasing. Damn it. Uh, year 1982. Uh, IMDb gave it a 5.0, directed by Steve Miner. They put it at 80, 81, and 82. Man, they're pumping these babies out. Uh, directed by Steve Miner, written by Rob Ron Kurtz and Martin Kitrosser. Budget was $2.5 million. The gross was uh, $36.7 million domestic. Um, the music again was done by Harry Manfredi. Uh, Danny Kimmel played Chris. Paul Kratka played Rick. Nick Savage played Allie. Rachel Rachel Howard played Chili. Chili? I don't remember a girl named Chili. Was she the Hispanic? Maybe. I'm not we, sure. We have a we have a Hispanic in this. Remember, she looks completely white, but her mom was. Oh, that's Hispanic. right. Yeah. So she so. played. That's Vera. Oh, is it? Something like that. Anyway, uh, Larry Zerner played Shelley. Tracy Savage played Debbie. Jeffrey Rogers played Andy, and Richard Brooker played Jason Voorhees. Synopsis. Immediately after his mysterious escape at the end of Friday the 13th Part 2, Jason Voorhees uh, kills a hard scrabble store owner and his nagging wife before heading back to Crystal Lake, this time to terrify rich girl Chris and her band of summer cottage guests. Chris, it seems, is haunted by an earlier encounter with Jason in her romantic entanglements by local boy Rick do a little to ease her nightmares. Do little to ease her nightmares. Meanwhile, the gruesome antics of Shelley, a chubby practical joker, who just wants to be loved and get laid, in parentheses, <laughs> leads to an escalating case of a boy who cried wolf. When he's not incurring the wrath of leather-clad motorcyclists, he's annoying the other guest with his mock mutilations. Soon, stage blood turns to real as guests and bikers alike fall prey to the killer lurking in the barn out back. Well, this was, again, a continuation of the other two, but, uh-huh. but you have interesting characters again. I mean, you have Shelley who, the first time I saw this, when he was in the closet, I, I really thought he was dead with the hatchet in his face. Uh-huh. So I thought that was kind of a, you know, on one hand, it's a cheap way to get the audience. You get uh-huh. two you get two deaths out of it just because, oh, yeah. you know, it's <laughs> fake. But, you know, the only one of the questions that I had about this movie is, why in the hell did you have a pregnant chick? Like, they tried to work it in that she was pregnant. She kept saying it. I'm like, why is that even, why are you really? doing it? Is it for sympathy? Don't you remember? The girl at the beginning, uh, who was it? Was it Chris? It was a, they, were, they were sending the weed around in the van, oh, and she's like, oh, "I can't, I'm pregnant." Right. You're right. And then I they keep they said it a couple other times, and there wasn't anything special about the way that she died. And I guess it was just for a sympathy vote instead of a instead well, yeah, of I mean, real was, being in the. I just again, it was just kind of one of those weird things that they just threw in. Um, and then the other thing is Rick gets pissed at Chris for not saying hi after he tongue rapes her when he walks <laughs> yes, in. She walked in. That was wild. God, he, yeah, he goes after her and then he gets, oh, you're not even going to say hi? Well, how can she with your tongue down her throat? <laughs> um, so, but, but, you know, then you start seeing some comedic elements in here, maybe a little bit more with the black biker gang and yeah. some other dumb stuff. Well, okay, so a couple of milestones are hit here. Actually, one milestone. This is when uh, Jason... Gets his mask, his hockey mask. Yeah, yeah. Because Shelly, the big dumbass, was going to have this great idea and pretend he's a serial killer with a hockey mask on. Uh, he gets killed, and uh, the hockey mask is stolen by Jason. So that's yep. that's pretty cool. Yep. Um, 
the this one had an awesome funky soundtrack. Finally, hmm. it opened up and it had like a funky tune instead of uh, the normal Harry Manfredi, which you know I kind of missed the 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 opening scene. But this kind of made it a little less serious, I guess. And 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 the tone for this one was a little less serious than the other mm-hmm. two. I mean, just like Sam said, plot's pretty much the same. Find an excuse for people to be up at this uh, cabin on Crystal Lake. Uh, they get picked off one by one, you know, but they do have a couple of interesting characters. They, the biker gang is awesome because they're probably the biggest pussies in a real oh biker gang. Whatever. They're, they're uh, pretty much all talk and, I mean, I guess they try to do stuff, but they end up dying. No, I don't, I mean, I don't really know what there is to say other than that. I mean, I hate to, like, skip over this movie. Well, I, I think what we do. have to do is start, start focusing on, well, not focusing, but start bringing up some of the things that, well, I don't want to say breakdown even either. But one of the things that I noticed was you're seeing some of the same deaths. Yeah. Same scares. Uh-huh. Like in the first one, they're running around, and the guy falls halfway out of the tree, so his arms are, you know, oh, just yeah. hanging there. And that's what Do Steve... The exact cr- same was it Steve three. that did that in the f- number one? Um, that he was running, and all of a sudden, boom. Yeah. If one came down, and it was the, same, the same thing. Same thing in this one. So you're starting to see some of the same kinds of deaths. You could tell that this really needed to get creative if it was going to move on uh-huh. to do another one. And we know that it did, bringing in Corey Feldman. and A and, bald Corey Feldman. Yeah, then you've got a just continued storyline for the next two. But Well, you know, the thing is, is I mean, these deaths, again, were, were really good. I mean, they... Uh, I mean, there was one where they shot an arrow, oh, yeah. like all the way across, and that was in, that that was supposed to work for the 3D too. I mean, you could kind of tell it was on a a little oh, uh, yeah. like fishing line or something because it went perfectly down and landed right in this chick's eye. But but uh, God, you know, I wish I watched this in 3D. I wonder how. You can't, can you even do that? Can you get the 3D version? Yeah, look, see, I got 3D glasses up there because of Friday because of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street part. Right. What is it? Five. So you they can do get a them. 3D Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, no, no, it's just like one the final part of of I think five or six. I don't remember which one oh. exactly. But um, yeah, you can do it. I don't know how I don't know how effective it is, and I don't know if you can buy 3D. I think I think the new ones you can get is 3D. The, the one that they just released. It's actually put out in 3D. Huh. So, yeah, you can I think that's that how all there. movies should be made. I freaking love 3D, yeah, especially well, I... this real 3D coming out. Now, I don't... It's not as effective on, um, on, you know, your home screen, but when... Like, when I took... When we went and saw My Bloody Valentine, yeah. that kicked ass. That the was movie cool. was just kind of dumb, but, yeah, but 3D was awesome. 3D boobs. Oh, yeah. For 20 awesome. minutes. Yeah. But, um... So, uh... One note I have here is some of the deaths that were edited in order to avoid an X rating. Really? Including Andy's death, which showed his right leg being cut off and his stomach being torn open. Uh, Vera's death was cut of, uh, was cut of bloodshed and her subsequent reaction. Uh, apparently it would look too real. Uh, Edna's death was cut for excessive blood flow. Chili's impalement with a red-hot poker was cut of stealing, steaming blood hitting the floor. And Debbie's original death showed blood spraying across her chest and face. So, is Debbie? Who's Debbie? I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I can't. That's I, interesting I, that I they had to cut all that well, they stuff. Cut, apparently, they cut a lot, and I wonder yeah. if that, all that's in the in the ones that just came out. You know, the, huh. the re-releases and whatever. Yeah. Um, this was Redneck Jason. You know, number one, oh, two, yeah. and three was all Redneck Jason. Yep. You know, and uh, this one, he actually there's a part where he. Uh, one of the girls, I don't, I don't remember the girl's name, but one of the girls had, you know, we talked about how she had a, a previous experience with Jason, scared of but she got away. Well, Jason pulls up his mask for a second to show her who he is. She's like, it's you, you know, whatever. So Jason knows that he's a freak and whatever. He's, <laughs> you know, he's got a little bit of intelligence there and he's not just some mongoloid running around killing people or whatever. 
I, I don't know. I mean, he still is a mongoloid running around killing people. But uh, at least, uh, you know, he, he kind of knows where he fits in and has accepted his role. Which That's is right. Good, which is good. You know what? Accept who you are. But uh, the, en- the end of this was, was kind of screwed up. Kind of retarded. Jason ran around in this a lot, too. He, he did. ran and he limped and you get more Jason in this definitely, which you, which you is have good. a lot of a lot of his his uh, mask off. I mean, you see him yeah. a lot with without a mask, which uh, I don't know. I don't know if I liked it very much, um, you know, because I, I like the mask. You know, I like having right. it on. And uh, I think the guy who played it was good. I mean, he was no uh, Kane Hodder because I mean, when we get up to seven, you know, and, and eight and in um, Jason X and nine and Jason X or nine is. Uh, Jason, Jason goes, goes to, hell. to hell, but in the Jason X, you can tell when Kane Hodder is because he expresses through movement, you know, some scary stuff. Yeah, you know, which is awesome. I he, I mean, I think by far he was the best Jason, but this guy did a good job. He's probably bigger, you know, than than Kane Hodder was, at least taller. But well, uh, and it's funny to see the different body types. He was bigger, but he was taller, and he was like skinnier. Yeah, he was. He's pretty skinny. So, you know, Jason ages gracefully, I guess. <laughs> Just like the rest of us. Exactly. But yeah, the very end of the sh- of this movie when the the jump out thing happens. All right, so yeah, we'll spoil. I mean, we'll spoil. Yeah, let's it. let's talk about it because it, it's this it's this decrepit uh uh body of a female. Well, let, let's talk about. Let's let's, talk, let's set it up. Basically, uh what he 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 I can't remember the girl's name. I th- but she sticks a machete through his head, and then all of a sudden he gets up and starts coming at her again, but falls over. So what does she decide to do? Take a note from uh, uh, Alice in the first one and get in a canoe and roll out to in the middle, uh, you know, part of the lake. But it didn't work for Alice. You know, the same thing, exact same thing happened, except for instead of Jason, it was Mama Voorhees. I guess right. head reattached and everything. Right. So what the hell? I just. I can't tell if those are dreams or not. I just wish that there was a clear cut. This is the storyline of what happened and what everything meant all the way along. Well, that's never, in number four and on up, that is never addressed. I mean, nothing ever comes of that. Right, but that's that's what I'm saying. And like when he jumps out in the very first one, was that a dream that she had or was that real? I just wish that we had the the continuity of what the storyline was behind Jason. Uh And maybe if someone knows, if there is something out there, let me know. Let us know because I would be interested to hear. Well, I don't know. I, I... I don't know if it's a dream. I never really thought it was a dream. You know, I I like well, the cops were right there, like in the very first one. Yeah, the cops were right there on the shore looking at her, and then Jason jumps out and gets her. No, no, I I'm not saying it didn't happen, and they didn't see it. I'm saying I like to believe it happened. Oh yeah, and I like to believe this one happened too because I like people coming back to life and and jumping <laughs> jumping out of water. And uh, hey, we're to the first one. Let's do it again <laughs> with the chick. Exactly. <laughs> I give this one a buy. I give it a buy too. Right, there, I, this is this got a little bit sketchy, uh, a little sketchier than even number two, I think. But uh, like Rick was was supposed to be this good, hardworking country boy, but he was kind of a dick. I don't know. You got anything else? I, I, I don't do. really. I don't. Do you have anything else to say? I, I feel like we kind of gl- well grazed the, over this, but I don't really think it deserves a whole. Well, hell that's of a that's life. the deal. Is that these first three they were really good, but they're all in the same vein. Yeah. I think when we see some of the different things that come up in the in the further movies then there's going to be more to talk okay. about because they're different um there's a mammary count of five which was all in the shower uh-huh. uh okay what did i learn i wanted where up yours with a hot poker came from yep there you go black bikers hide in closets until the climax of movies <laughs> for no reason no one uh, should they're pussies. In the fan. um and then who else said that will you 
put that filthy animal back where it belongs. That was Pee Wee Herman's arresting officer. <laughs> and are you doing something I shouldn't see? That was me to Kevin Bacon about his new projects. <laughs> you hate Kevin Bacon. Just for being an asshole about not admitting that he was in Friday the 13th or not even yeah. not enjoying that he was. Uh, you know, I still have to say I do love Stir of Echo, so. No, he's got some good stuff, but I'm still going to give him shit in this episode. Uh, Dana Kimmel was in Lone Wolf McQuaid, which is one of the all-time greatest movies. I have not seen it. Oh, dude, Chuck Norris at his best. <laughs> Kick ass. She was, in, or she, yeah, she was in Lone Wolf McQuaid with David Carradine. I thought that would be topical. Oh, yeah. Uh, who was in Kill Bill Volume 1 with Michael Madsen, who was in Wyatt Earp with Gene Hackman, who was in Behind Enemy Lines with Joaquin de Alameda. You'd recognize him if you saw him. <laughs> who was in Clear and Present Danger with Ted Raimi, who was in Evil Dead 2 with Bruce Campbell. Cool. There you go. How many was that? Six. All right, cool. cool. <laughs> okay, it looked a little long. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, Kevin Bacon telling you how long his career was. <laughs> I won't be a dick to him next time. Anyhow, so, okay. Now, remember, at the end of this one, we're going to throw on Keith's promo. So stick around for that. Yep. But do uh, you have anything else for this episode? I loved it. I'm. Uh, these are good topics over the next several weeks. What? So what are we going to do? Are we going to go back to Nightmare or are we going to start another one and just do three? What do you think? It's <sighs> a great question. I don't know. No, we don't have to decide right now. Nah, let's think about it. Nobody's got the death scene from last one. What? Yeah. Flopo has a good one, huh? Oh, yeah. This one is wicked. I've actually seen the movie, and it's terrible. Oh, really? It is, it's terrible. <laughs> Should we let that one ride, or do you want to throw in another one? Let's let it ride. All right. We'll let it ride. Yeah, we're going to let that one ride. We're going to go. We're not going to put one in for this one. Uh, but remember, our awesome new. Uh, oh, and I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. For If anybody gets that death scene from episode 33, then um, we're not only going to give you a Cadaver Lab prize disc, we will throw in a Ruckus Productions, what's it called? Sampler disc. So there you go. That'll be awesome. Sam Sam is uh, looking over at Terry right now. This is the best awesome scene. <laughs> she just, just look at that. Just really good. <laughs> She's talented. Yeah. And you know what the best part of when she's swimming around is how she like jumps up in the air while she's swimming. <laughs> she, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling uncomfortable. I here. wish I was a lake right now. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> all right. So, um, all right. We, we have anything else? I don't think so. All right. So, uh, from the Cadaver Lab, we will see you later. The following is an excerpt of a bestseller, the novel, written and read for you by Keith Latch. More details are available at www.keithlatch.com and the novel is available for purchase in trade paperback from Champagne Books at www.champagnebooks.com. Bestseller. It's deadly at the top. Prologue. The Travel Inn Motor Lodge sat squat beside a four-lane highway. It was late evening, the lights of passing traffic blurring into rays of white and red. The smell of gasoline and diesel drifted far and wide. He was in Iowa 
or Idaho, or maybe it was Michigan. He really didn't know anymore. More to the point, he didn't really care. A palm full of cash had dissuaded the desk clerk from asking too many questions. That was a good thing. The key to his room, 23, was attached to a wide, odd-shaped piece of green plastic. The door creaked as he stepped into an obscenely ugly room. The carpet was a burnt orange, the drapes a sickly dark green. But the overhead light worked when he flipped the switch. The bed was made and looked all too inviting. Before settling in, he returned to his car for his bags. One was a green duffel bag, the kind the military issued. But he was not an army man, nor would he ever be. The ritual that such a life entailed nauseated him. The other wasn't truly a bag, but a case. Once back in the room, he removed items from the bag. A bottle of Jack Daniels, a small, tattered notebook, spiral-bound with a black fading cover. A thirty-eight Smith & Wesson revolver, loaded and ready to go. There was a television in the room, but he did not turn it on. His mind was full. He could hold no more. Beside the bed on a small, cheaply made table were a phone and alarm clock radio. Neither distraction appealed to him. There was not one person in the world he wanted to talk to. And on the radio there would be nothing but the Bee Gees or some other mindless, stifling disco crap or worse. Maybe even punk rock. He grabbed a glass from the sink area, rinsed the dust from it, and poured it half full with liquor. He'd never been much of a drinker, had never developed the stomach or the taste for it. Still, he drained the glass before placing the hard black guitar case on the bed. It wasn't all that bad, really. He flipped open the fasteners and pulled out the instrument, a recent purchase from abroad. A 1978 Les Paul EG500. The cherry sunburst color made it about the most beautiful thing he'd ever seen in the world. But the sixth string was not a source of pride or awe for him. It was simply a tool, a way of release. He cradled the guitar, the bass over a knee and the fingerboard held lightly, almost lovingly, in his left hand. He didn't use a pick. Instead, he pulled a shiny dime out of his pocket. Automatically, his left hand hit a chord and he strummed the dime over the strings. The guitar made a metallic clanging sound, nothing like if it had been hooked to an amplifier on heavy distortion. Another chord, then another. Before long, he had the intro to a new song. It came effortlessly, as they always seemed to. Within five minutes, he had the intro carved into his memory. Then, the opening verse. Lyrics, too, came unabashed when he was writing. He sang them slowly, softly. Soon, the song worked itself out. He took frequent breaks to write in his notebook with a big pen. He called the song, Man at the Door. The thrum of steel strings in his low, melodic voice filled the small hotel room. But he didn't hear his guitar. He didn't even hear his own voice. He listened to the music in his head, the music that was always there, melody, notes and bars, bridges, everything. After a while, he was able to stop. The song committed to memory. He could easily work the details out later. 
the drum line, the bass line, all that could be fitted around the guitar and the lyrics. But there wasn't going to be a later. He fished a brown prescription bottle from the same pocket the dime had earlier emerged. He pulled the top off and inside was pills of every color of the rainbow. He had long ago forgotten their true names. To him, blue meant sleep, red to wake, yellow was to make you happy, and orange was to forget. He tapped out several into his hand, selected three blues and three oranges. The rest he dropped back into the bottle. He poured another swallow of whiskey into his glass and was about to swallow the six pills when there was a knock at the door. It had taken a lot to get here. Many miles and many years. Why she was here was a question without an easy answer. Could it be love? Could it be devotion? She hardly thought so. Perhaps it was nothing but habit. That seemed more likely an answer than anything else, though even that wasn't quite right. Before the madness, before the hookers and reporters and the disc jockeys stole him away, she had tracked his every move and continued to follow him even now. It was a long, arduous journey, and her body betrayed her, highlighting the ravages of the ordeal. She was no longer young, but not yet old enough to have the deep lines that ran like dry rivers at the corners of her mouth and eyes. But they were there, nonetheless. She hadn't seen him in such a very long time. The world had been a different place then, he a different man. She could only hope that some semblance of his old self still lurked beneath the monster he had become. Perhaps it was too harsh to call him a monster, but she didn't think so. Even though he'd barred her from his life, she'd paid attention. How could she not? Stories of him were everywhere, whether rumors, facts, or flat-out lies. One would never know, but she could guess. Yes, she could do that. She recognized the car at the front of room 23, a red, shiny Corvette with white lettered tires. Wherever he went, he was quick to find him a vet. When they were younger, he'd been obsessed with a car. Back then, such luxury had been far beyond his reach. But not anymore. Times, they were a-changing. She was dressed in denim bell-bottoms and a tight tank top. Her long, soft hair cascaded down her back, over her shoulders. She ran a hand through her hair and dusted the hay from her clothes. The hay had come from a riot over from Des Moines. She was lucky to get a lift, and when the farm couple offered, she couldn't turn it down just because she'd be riding in the back of the pickup with hay and a big pig they called Toko. She'd been appreciative of the ride. She only hoped she didn't stink to high heaven. She hadn't known he'd been here, only that he was on his way out of Des Moines. She lucked up when the pickup had suffered a flat tire near the turnoff to the motor lodge. As she watched the old man with the straw hat and overalls change the tire, she'd spotted the Corvette in the parking lot. She'd known it belonged to him. And now, here she was, as jittery as a schoolgirl on her very first date. Why did she think things would be different now? Why did she believe he would welcome her with open arms? The truth of the matter was that she didn't, but she was tired of living without him, of falling asleep every night with a picture of him in her mind that most often bled over into both her dreams and nightmares. 
Life was no longer good for her. It had gone from brilliant color to a washed-out gray. Her home seemed a million miles away. She left it all for this man, and he didn't even know it. He was both the best thing that had ever happened to her and the worst, all rolled into one very talented but very flawed human being. With a hesitant fist, she knocked on the door. Johnny, she said. Her voice was frail and timid. It's me, Lily. No answer. Not even a shuffling of feet on the carpet, no tug at the curtains, no nothing. She knocked again. Johnny, she called louder. Had she come all this way just to be turned away by a closed door? Time seemed to stop, as did her heart. She tried the knob, but it was locked. She knew it would be. At least she tried. She'd done that much. She wasn't about to make a scene. He probably had a girl in there with him, some teeny bopper with a big chest and not much going on between the ears. She heard that he'd turned into a real sexual animal. The thought sickened her, and she pushed it from her mind as if it were a tangible thing. Moths swam in the light of a single bulb beside the door. The hot summer night was humid, harsh. Okay, if that's the way you want it, she turned and began to walk away. Defeated and broken, she didn't know what else to do. Johnny froze. It wasn't the calling of his name, but the sound of the voice speaking it. Years came rolling back. A kaleidoscope of memories from a happier, saner life spun into him, and for a moment, he froze. Johnny couldn't move, couldn't speak, couldn't do anything. Lily, his mind muttered, could it really be? After so much time, was she really here? Then, the force that held his body and his tongue loosened, and he was in control of his faculties once again. Fortunately, he thought to hide the gun before rising from the bed. He pushed it deep down into his duffel. When he opened the door, he took an involuntary gasp of air. He held the pills tightly in his hand, but there was no hiding the whiskey on his breath. Johnny, she asked, after all this time, is it really you? Saying nothing, Johnny chewed on his bottom lip. She was different, yet the same. What had it been, eight, nine years, maybe even ten? Certainly another life ago. Still silent, he motioned for her to come in. He couldn't help but notice how Lily looked behind her, as if hoping someone would stop her. But no one did. He smelled her as she stepped past. She came so close that he could feel her breath on him. For the slightest of moments, he thought she might stop, wrap him up in her arms. But would he let her if she tried? Was this what he wanted? The decision was made for him as he stepped on and passed. Once in the room, she turned to face him. You look good, she lied. It wasn't that she was a bad liar. It might have rang true if he hadn't known better. But he had let his body go. His hair, always one long, was now too long and in need of a good washing. His beard and mustache had grown scraggy. His once thin frame had thickened like gristle and an obtrusive gut hung over his belt. All in all, he was almost unrecognizable as the young man he'd been less than a decade ago. Living hard and living fast wasn't conducive to a healthy body. So do you, and he meant that. Lily looked just as good as she had when they were together. Her body was slim without being too thin. Her green eyes were sharp and watchful but kind and concerned as well. 
She had been a true beauty back then, and she was beautiful now. But he could see the wear on her much too much for her 30 years. How did you know I was here? Not too many Corvettes like that around the farmland. You were at the show? Couldn't afford a ticket, but I could hear you from outside the hall. Johnny looked down at the obscene orange carpeting. You're a long way from home. Heard you got married. Home's not like it used to be, and no, I wasn't married. Engaged, but never married. I, I've been meaning to... She silenced him with a wave of her hand. I didn't come here for a lie, Johnny. I didn't come here to make you feel sorry for me. I came here to see you, to be near you, if only for a while. The real you, not the man on the television, not the voice on the records, not your drug smile in a magazine, but the real you, the you I've loved for so long, the man I've ached for all these years. Her words were like sweet heroin soaking deep into him, but as she moved towards him, he started backward. I am not that man anymore, Lily. He turned away from her, staring at the cheap art print framed by plastic on the wall. I can never be him again. And I'm not that same starry-eyed girl that you left on that rainy April night. I'm a woman now. Life's taught me a thing or two, things like that when one door closes, there's always another to slam in your face. That opportunity only knocks once, and if you aren't listening just right, you might not even hear that one knock. But there are good things, too like you. Even when you left, I still had you. I played a record or listened to the radio. I had a poster of you of the rock god Johnny Kruger on my wall until I got evicted last year. But I still have the poster at my mom's. I know it's not you. Not really. But it helps a little. Sometimes a little means a lot, you know? Since you said that I don't owe you a lie, I'm not going to lie now. There have been a lot of women. I'm sure if you've read my press, you already know that. He walked to his bottle and poured a generous amount into the glass. He drank it down and waited for the liquid fire to consume him, to numb his teeth and gums, to make his fingertips tingle. It didn't take long. But they were nothing more than distractions. Warm bodies in the dead of night. Lily closed her eyes and cupped her face in her hands. I don't want to hear this. What do you want to hear, Lily? You want to hear that I've turned into a saint, that I'm the world's only celibate musician? Well, that's not true. You knew better before you walked through that door, but I will tell you something that you might not know. Lily pulled her hands from her face, her eyes open. Johnny had rehearsed this a million times, but never once expected to actually say it. I left only because I couldn't stay. That might sound foolish, but it's the truth. I wouldn't expect you to say any different. Like I said, I'm not here for excuses. Far from it. It's no excuse. It's a fact. If I had stayed, you would have been a lot worse off. Look at me, Johnny. Really, look at me. Look past my face into my soul. Do you think I could be any worse off than I am now? I, I, enough of this, okay? Lily came to him. Her body was taut and tense as she melded into him. She smelled sweet and clean, pure and right. He could almost remember her touch, but the years and the drugs had caused the distinctiveness to fade. Now it came rushing back, and it felt good. It felt like coming home. Just one night. That's all I want. Just one more night. 
Her voice was soft, but the plea was evident. Johnny turned his back to her and reached for his drink. In one smooth motion, he popped the pills into his mouth and swallowed them down with an amber liquid. When he faced her again, he thought everything might just work out. Okay, he said. Okay. Tonight is ours. It was the dead of night when he awoke from the nightmare. The room was dark, and Lily lay naked in the bed beside him. Even in the shadows, he could see the slow and steady rise and fall of her chest. Her smooth, flawless skin had been a hot fire and had melted the ice that had formed over his soul. But now that ice was back, black and cold and freezing. It could never be the same again. There was no going back. He knew this much now as well as he knew that he loved this woman so much it hurt. That was what made it so much harder. Lily slept on her side, facing him. He leaned into her and gently pressed his lips against her warm cheek. She stirred slightly, but was evidently in the grasp of deep sleep, so she didn't wake. Johnny pulled himself out of the bed, slowly and easily. Naked, he stood, grabbed his duffel, and went into the bathroom. As he flipped on the light, he noticed his hand was shaking. He shouldn't have awakened. He'd taken more than enough of his medicine to sleep through not only the night, but most of the next day as well. But oddly, he didn't feel even the vaguest sense of a high. His mind was amazingly clear. He took that as a sign that he was doing the right thing. He pulled the revolver from his bag and took a seat on the toilet. The chrome of the thirty-eight shone under the buttery bathroom light. There was music in his head. Lyrics, too, but the words were of death, of loneliness, and they grew louder and louder. By the time the barrel of the gun pushed over his teeth and pressed against the uvula in the back of his throat, the music was so loud it felt like ice picks were piercing his ears. He had lived too long like this, much too long, and now it was time for the music to be over, for the curtain to fall, for the final bow. Goodbye to a light that had been strange and terrifying, and to one that had been better than he had any right to have lived. With a thumb of his right hand, he pulled back the hammer. He tasted gun oil and metal in his mouth. Strangely, it wasn't disgusting. It was as if he'd always been meant to end it this way. He pulled the trigger. In the time it took for the round to leave the chamber and thunder forward, he had one last thought. Was it Iowa, Idaho, or Michigan? His head exploded and the wall of the tiny bathroom was splattered with bits of gray matter, splashes of blood, and chunks of hair and bone, while the only woman he'd ever loved woke to the horrible sound of a gunshot. I hope you've enjoyed the prologue to my novel, Best Seller, copyright 2008. For more details, please visit www.champagnebooks.com and my website www.keithlatch.com